detective, thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Care Boy, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy. This is Nathan Bartleball. Tonight's episode is going to be a little bit different. This is actually a crossover episode where we joined the host of Zero Dark Nerdy, Brian Hernandez, and his daughter Jordan. Bill and I got a chance to talk our top five favorite horror movies and some honorable mentions, and Brian and Jordan got to share theirs as well. It was a really fun time. I hope that you'll check it out, and you'll also check out more episodes of Zero Dark Nerdy. It's a really great fun podcast and come back here soon for more phantom galaxy we have a vod roulette coming up next week the first episode of strange frequencies and a king kong centric episode so stay tuned for all of that and enjoy (laughs) all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to zero dark nerdy the world's most notorious pop culture podcast this is your boy brian aka el nino and today i'm joined with Jordan. <laughs> and we have some two very, very special guests joining us from the podcast Phantom Galaxy, Bill and Nathan. Bill and Nathan, how are you two doing today? I am doing awesome. I'm looking forward to this all my day. I'm a teacher by day, so when the kids were driving me crazy about three o'clock, I was thinking, Can I talk horror? Can I talk horror? Can I talk horror? So it's finally <laughs> here. There you it's go. Like a mantra. Yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, no problem. Um, before we get into it, this episode, we are going to be talking about some of our favorite horror films. I would love to get some feedback from uh, the two of you as well as my daughter as far as maybe, you know, first movies, like inspirations for 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 horror as far as when you were little, kind of growing up, and, and just a little bit of backstory. Well, I know the what I can remember as a kid, I remember watching the Universal Horrors. You got your Frankenstein, you got your Draculas, you got your werewolf, you know, the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. I remember my dad, this is back in the day when you rented a VCR. We didn't own one, we rented a VCR. Mm-hmm. And you went to the video store, and these things were like 30 pounders, like they were big suckers. Yeah. And my dad rented for me Watcher in the Woods. Wow. There's back a Disney the movie I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, there's that Disney movie. And you got, you know, old Betty Davis and such. And I can remember that one. And my dad used to show us, not quite horror, but I remember watching the Poseidon Adventure as a young kid. And that scene where Gene Hackman's spinning the wheel and he drops himself down into the fire going, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> yet, yet it didn't scare me away. It kept me going. So that was kind of my driver as a young kid. Nice, nice. Nathan, what about you? Yeah, it was similar for me, again, growing up there at the very early 80s. There was a lot of 
horror happening, but I didn't see a lot of it till a few years later. Although I probably saw a lot of it much younger. I was probably only second or third grader running around talking about Fright Night and aliens <laughs> and <laughs> things like that. And uh, but for me, I remember specifically, but I think my earliest movie memory in general is sitting uh, with my dad, probably my dad's up watching King Kong, the original King Kong and, you know, King Kong fighting the T-Rex and everything like that. I'm sure that'll come back up again tonight, but that was very formative. And then for me, probably one of the scariest things when I was very young was the Medusa from Clash of the Titans, the Harryhausen. Uh, it got to a point when I would have dreams about monsters because, you know, even that time gremlins and ghostbusters, all my dream monsters were in stop motion because that's what I was familiar with. <laughs> Right, right. So yeah. that was kind of the gateway for me, I think, and the Universal monsters, like like Bill says, yeah. Yeah, I can't go wrong with the Universal monsters; just just classics, classics, right there. Well, uh, we'll switch it over to my my daughter here, Jordan. What was, whether if it was me or or friends or whatever, what were some of your first horror memories? Um, first horror memories. Well, I used to hate horror when I was little. I would make my friends turn off, even the the like most ridiculous shows like ghost adventures and stuff like that. I would make them turn it off because I, I was so paranoid and all that. And I don't really know. I don't really remember where I transitioned into it being my favorite genre. It just kind of happened. Like I, I think maybe I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll bear it and watch Zach Bagans run around with the camera and <laughs> think that every noise is a demon. And you know, it was it was like it's a silly show, but it made me like interested in all the rest of it, like everything that horror has to offer. And um, yeah, it's my favorite genre for sure. Um, I think it's really impressive when you can pull off good horror just in general, because there's a lot of not good horror. So when I when something genuinely scares me or makes me think I really I really like that. I like things that don't, you know, solely rely on jump scares and. Um, like cliches and stuff like that. So nice. I know. I've, apparently, I've failed as a parent. Well, no, because I do remember you <laughs> being little and not liking horror movies. So it was definitely more in your early teens when you got into it. And at that point, her and her mom had moved to Myrtle Beach. So then we started a little bit. But for for me, in the beginning, it, it my dad definitely didn't care as far as age goes. <laughs> he was like, if it's on, you guys are watching it. So I, I remember being four years old, five years old, watching Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And as a, as a young kid, one of the things I really looked forward to was on HBO was Tales from the Crypt. So uh, I believe it went on for like six or seven seasons. And, and, and I always covered up my eyes as the camera's panning down and going into the dungeon when the Crypt Keeper pops out at the end. It, uh, Such it's a fantastic best. intro. Oh, it, oh, one of the best. One of the best intros. That and uh, the Tales from the Dark Side intro really, really freaked me out. It's so minimalist. It's just like yes. those woods. Like looks like the Pennsylvania or upstate New York woods. And you see a couple old barns. And yet it's so creepy. It, it, very creepy. So, yeah, definitely in the beginning, of course, some 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 great B-horror movies that my dad put me on to. But it was really more the TV shows. And then... Growing up with like, are you afraid of the dark, and uh, and the books, oh, of course, so for uh, scary stories oh, to yeah. tell in the dark. That that was uh, that was my earliest memories. Yeah. I liked reading yeah. horror for some reason, so I would rent scary stories from to, to tell in the dark from my school library, and I would read it. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, I remember those. That's true here too, and those illustrations. So yeah, <laughs> such oh. great illustrations. I remember in the early two thousands, they tried to renovate the books as if they needed renovating with new illustrations. Right. They were terrible and roundly rejected. I mean, they were fine drawings, but they were not that nightmare fuel that's in those in those yeah. books. Oh, they yeah. are. And just like you said with the Tales from the Dark Side intro, I think the same thing of the images in, in uh, Scary Stories Telling the Dark, too, because they're not, it's not this big, elaborate, like, comic book scene. It's just very minimal, but incredibly creepy at the same time. Yeah, you're like, that dog has a human hand, and it sticks in your brain. It comes <laughs> back later on that night. Which begs the question, did you enjoy the film? The Guillermo del Toro film, mm -hmm. like the newer one that came, right? Yeah. The yeah. Only yeah. one, right? Yeah. I... I did like I liked the monsters and the special effects mm -hmm. a lot. I think it was really cool. I think they did it very accurately too. I just thought like I don't know because I know that it was just really it was really corny and I struggled with that. Like the dialogue was super corny and kind of cringy. But cuz scary stories tell in the dark is from when did those books come out? Was it was it the 90s or was no, it before that? The 80s. Early, it was the early 80s, yeah. almost the late 70s is when he was probably compiling so, everything. Right. Yeah. So having like knowing that I kind of I have I still have appreciation for it because it kind of has some 80s nostalgia in that way of how like corny it is. But I did. I did like it. I liked the monsters a lot. I, I liked seeing like all the new ones that would come out. So. Yeah, I saw that in the drive-in too. That was a good drive-in experience watching that one. It's a popcorn flick. Yeah. <laughs> in honor of, uh, of of children watching things in inappropriate ages, I took my uh, five and seven-year-old to see it in the theater. It was their first big horror movie, and we were about two seats back. And it's so funny because the thing that freaked them out was, I guess, the pale woman, you know, and she comes out, which she's freaky. But they had no problems with the jangly man. I thought that for sure. I mean, you're run, he's running backwards with his head flipped around. <laughs> right, but, right. Yeah, they're on their they're on their way. I really we just we've been watching the new Are You Afraid of the Dark that they've kind of do as mini series. Have you mm -hmm. seen this mm -hmm. on Nickelodeon? I think the new one's pretty good for uh, for the young audience. You know, it is a little bit uh, run of the mill and maybe a little cliche, but it feels like it's aiming for like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibe without as many adult themes. You know, right. Right. And, and, you know, speaking of that, too, I don't want to get too off topic. I started watching the uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It is yeah. it is not the, um, you know, the no. Melissa Joan Hearts <laughs> at all whatsoever. And it was I, we just finished it. And I tell you what, I was very impressed. It's it, very uh, good. It, yeah, it's dark. Uh, the storylines I thought were very good. Of course, it gets a little confusing every there, but I mean, what what show doesn't? And then I didn't think there was too many jump to shark moments, but it was uh, it was. Is, it, is there is there still the cat? Yeah, Salem. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the cat's, cat's creepier too. Like what the cat really no, is. that's the thing. Yeah, the cat doesn't talk. No. Uh, it's it's actually it's it's legitimate horror, Bill. It's uh, yeah. you know okay. Oh yeah. Okay, um, so it's it's not, it, it's not just uh, you know candy coated. No. Oh, oh no, no. full-blown Satanism and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, on, so. yeah. yeah that's what the I'm whole uproar was about, was because, you know, they worship the Dark Lord, and then the Dark Lord takes all these different shapes, and she's trying to balance life between, you know, her normal school and then witchcraft school. And then it, it ties in, too, with uh, Riverdale, just a little bit, yeah, not yeah. too Ooh, much, but it's I, in. I hope it's just a little bit. No, it's just a little bit. Just a little Because okay. in the comics, <laughs> it was the same people that did Archie, did the comics for yeah. Sabrina, so. But um, yeah, so this episode, all things horror, 
Um, we got we got top fives. We got honorable mentions. Why don't we we'll start ladies first, and then we'll go to Nathan and Bill, and then just kind of round it off and do just a nice little round table discussion on some of our uh, old school favorites, new school favorites, and just kind of go from there. And then if and, and I, I I wanted to make sure that Jordan was on because I love the the previous generation's POV. Yeah. And, and I want to say a generation and a half away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was very young when I had when I had my yeah. daughter, so it's uh, it's been a fun ride. And now we get to enjoy. We do what's called horrible horror movie Fridays, and <laughs> it, it's everything from. And I mean, they're not all horrible because I love a lot of B horror movies like Demons, Demons Two. I put her on to yeah. uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, so that's our yes. fun daddy daughter time. Is, so you've is, you've is, got some you've got the trauma catalog. <laughs> yep. yep. Maybe perfect for the VOD roulette bill. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we do episodes now again of what we call VOD roulette, video on demand. Yeah. Where we go to Netflix, Prime, Tubi, uh, whatever, and just randomly choose a movie. And generally, we don't want a good movie. Right. So it, or well, Bill doesn't we want a good movie. Movies. I'm always <laughs> keeping my fingers crossed that Bill accidentally picks a good movie. Right. <laughs> and we, we've been fooled by a few uh, posters before. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because that was that's how you know you mentioned the VCRs earlier. Going to the video store, and it's a shame that you know she got to experience it a little bit when she was little. When blockbusters are still around, I have like vague memories, like core memories, right? Yeah, it was still around when you know you're you're fortunate enough, but a lot of people don't. That was the thing, you you know. Whereas you don't want to judge a book by its cover. We had to judge movies by their cover at the (laughs) video store. Most of my movie. nightmares came from the covers, not the <laughs> right. movies. The movies were very rarely as frightening exactly. as some of those covers. Exactly. And, and we all know where they always stuck the horror section at the video store. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Usually towards <laughs> the back and then the, the other section that had the barn doors. you got to stop when adults the, were allowed in. You hit the curtain, you've gone too far. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah exactly right. Yep. The adults only section. I tell you, one of just—I uh, don't know if you've ever done an episode on this, but one of my favorite movie posters that just always kind of scared the crap out of me was *Night of the Creeps*. And uh, it's yes. not that great of a movie, but the poster and the and the and the box always just with the ugh. hand coming through the yeah. like door at the, yeah. the rose hand. Did it for me. All right. Sorry, so, I did, didn't mean to cut her off. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're oh, it's good. Okay. <laughs> we do it all the time. Do you just want me like list my yeah, top five? However you want to do it. Free range. Well, well, you know, why don't we just go one at a time? Five, 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 four, four, yeah, four. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And if you got top tens, you can do those as honorable mentions. So I think we did. Okay. Top tens, but Perfect. Yeah, I like it. Um, as number five, I just like like we said in the like we said before we started the show is my top favorite movies change all the time. So this is just my number five right now. Is actually a new A twenty four movie that just came out, Saint Maud. Um, it was Rose Glass's debut, um, as a director and I like religious horror a lot. I think that's some of the scariest stuff. Um, it's like, I always tell, like when I describe it to my friends, if they want to watch new horror, I just tell them it's like a reverse carry where the, the girl is all about God. And then the middle-aged woman she's taking care of is actually an atheist. So it's like, like reverse, but also so much more. And I was not, I'm glad I was not like underwhelmed because I was hyping, I was wait. I've been waiting to see that movie for, since like they announced that it was going to happen because I, I like Carrie a lot. I feel like, of course, there were certain things that like I could nitpick that could be better, but um, as far as it goes, it was just very, 
it was like disturbing and it was also really funny. They make, um, it's a commentary. It's also has commentary about like mental illness. The director acknowledges that like the things that the girl sees and she thinks she's hearing God and stuff is, you know, it's, it's a metaphor for like undiagnosed mental illness. And they even shout out, she even mentions in like an interview that she tries to shout out like the frontline healthcare workers, like for the pandemic. There's a scene where uh, Maude uh, sits down with a, a nurse and she says like, you have like the second most important job in the world. And, and um, yeah, and I, I noticed that, that shout out right there and I, I really appreciated that. But as far as like the horror goes, um, I liked its subtlety a lot. It's I don't know if you've if any of you've ever seen any movies where like the horror can be very subtle and that makes it all the more scary. Like there were scenes where you know she was having these thoughts about God talking to her, telling her what she needs to do, and her eyes would just you could see they subtly like bulge out a little bit, or her mouth opens a little bit too wide. Things like that, and it's just it's scary because it's it's enough for you to realize that it's special effects, but maybe not. But it is, <laughs> and um, yeah, she does crazy things like she walks around with shoes that have needles mm -hmm. in the soles, Ugh. and with like with a um, with like a bed sheet on her to mimic you know Jesus. <laughs> And she's going around just, you know, trying to spread the word. And, um, yeah, I just really love religious horror. So I think Rose Glass did a really good job on St. Maud. And, yeah, I think the ending is also very haunting. One of the most haunting endings I've seen. It's very fantastical looking, but it's, it's like no words just kind of just sit there and look at it and Watch also it. just a little blackly comic like you said a little yeah. bit of dark comedy in there yeah, yeah. <laughs> i shouldn't have chuckled but i did oh no <laughs> i like i i did too because i was like that looks yeah. <laughs> that does not look right but then as it goes on i'm like well this is kind of this is very there's a there's unfilled. an instant cut that kind of like puts the final you know uh nail in the coffin there that's pretty great yeah I didn't want to spoil too much because I know it's new and a lot of people have not seen that yet. I'm trying to get Bill to see. There you go, Bill. There's your Nathan's been bugging me for weeks, but I'm on so many podcasts. Oh. I don't have the time to sit. And <laughs> Bill watched eight junkie shark movies when he could have watched St. Maud. By now. <laughs> I want, but I, I saw Planet of the Sharks, Ghost Sharks, Ice Sharks, you know. <laughs> so, Bill, what's your number five? My number five, I couldn't begin a list without a universal horror. Okay. And I'm going to go one that I think is not my favorite creature, but my favorite movie. And I'm going to go with Frankenstein. Nice. I think Frankenstein, James Whale's directing is absolutely brilliant. You got Colin Clive, you got Boris Karloff. You can read it on many, or watch it on many levels. It's got a, it does have that subtlety of horror. Like it isn't necessarily a horrific. And people don't realize Frankenstein is the doctor. It's not the creature. Right. And it's got, you know, you know, you can subliminally think, is it the treatment of minorities, the way they chase after him at the end with the fire, you know, the scene with the little girl. But you can just flat out just watch it as a horror movie. 
and enjoy it. For I mean, I consider it, it in 1931 the first of the talkie horror films just kind of kicked it off. And I mean, people have tried many times to try to re-envision Frankenstein, try to get that sense of Wales direction. I don't think anybody's matched it. And Karloff had a physical presence to him. He had a subtlety to him. He wasn't the most brilliant of actors, but he knew what he was doing. And I don't think anybody can touch, as far as monster movies, Frankenstein. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Nathan, what's your number five? So my number five, uh, and we were just talking a minute ago about horror that's a little bit more subtle or that isn't directly in your face and how that can be more effective. And the movie I have is from 1961 and it's the innocence directed by Jack Clayton. It's an adaptation of the turn of the screw with Deborah Carr and these two young children that she's the governess for. And anyone who's seen, you know, the haunting of uh, Hill house series did, you know, their most recent one was Bly Manor. And it was an adaptation of the, of the turn of the screw. And we've had several adaptations over the years. Uh, I find this one particularly, though, the one from 1961, is to me one of the most fascinating horror movies because essentially it's a, a, almost a PG or a G-rated movie in terms of content. And yet there's so much that's suggested. There's so much nefarious things that seem to be happening in the shadows or in her mind. Deborah Carr's performance here is really great. And if you've seen this movie, the way the imagery works in this movie is just impressive because you're looking for things in the windows in the background. You're looking for those shadows that may be on the edge of the staircase. You're watching the children and you're watching how they behave. You realize that they act older than they are, but is that because of bad things that happen to them or is that because there's a possession thing going on? And you mentioned the religious horror. This is that same kind of thing. Deborah Carr is a very pious woman, but we have reason to question her motives and her mind and what her upbringing really was. And yet none of this is ever overstated. And I think that's what makes this movie so effective to me. The minute I saw it, it just lingered in my mind. And I'd already seen this story. I'd already read this story. Uh, but to me, it's one of the great horror movies because of, of what it does with so little, with just suggestion, really. Nice. Nice. The innocence. I'm going to have to check that out. You said it was yeah. 1961. Yes, and I don't know if you guys have HBO Max. I know for, uh, I believe it's still on there. They for a while they had it on there, so you can check it out there. I believe. All right. But yeah, if you uh, particularly if you like that kind of religious art for 1961, I think you're going to find it's a lot more sophisticated and creepy than you're expecting. You know, there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of use of darks and shadows and foreground and background. It's a good one to watch with Jordan with the lights out. Maybe you've had a beer or two. You've got some chips. You sit on the couch. <laughs> put on the innocence. All right, that, that okay. might have to be our movie tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's a student. She's a film student at UNCW. So I know. Oh her yeah, see this one discusses sure. all the time, and she's getting ready to go back tomorrow. So we definitely it, it, it would it would be a brilliant movie to do a paper on. It really would. Okay. I think Scorsese is is cited as his favorite horror movie. Martin Scorsese. Nice. The innocence. Nice. So. Um, for mine, so it was it was a real toss up for number five because they're both kind of a they're both kind of the first ones I remember watching as a kid. So I did want to include that in my top five. So I'll I'll go ahead and say that Evil Dead, nineteen eighty one, with uh, Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, way before he went on to do uh, Spider Man, <laughs> is uh, is my number five. It just it's the first one that genuinely scared the crap out of me. 
Uh, for the little bit of budget that they had, I thought it was done very, very well. And uh, just uh, the, the iconic scenes, the, 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 mon- the not the monster, but the uh, like the demon coming, trying to come out of the basement. The, the, just that cabin in the woods feel to it on top of that. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of the first ones I remember watching. And my cousins used to do this thing to where they actually downloaded, and I mean, not even downloaded, gosh, this is the 80s. So they pretty much took a cassette player and and they had a record option. Oh, on it, no. Put it, put it next to the TV. So when they're reading from the Necronomicon. Professor Noby's little. Right. Yeah. yeah, they recorded it. And then they would put me, like, we'd all be in the bedroom chilling. All of a sudden, the lights would go off. And then they'd start playing it. And, oh, my gosh, I would just run for my life. And uh, thank you to my cousins <laughs> in the Bronx for torturing me for many a summer because of that but that is my uh, my number five evil dead the 81 I, I, I think what adds to that film is it's mondo filmmaking yeah like i don't know if they even had permission to be using that place that they did oh probably not yeah no, it, it was they, definitely yeah. guerrilla filmmaking at its best yeah yeah but bruce I campbell mean, says he almost got a concussion because uh sam raimi drove a motorcycle with a camera into his stomach <laughs> If I recall, I think within the last two years, it's actually burned down. So many people were getting in there that it finally got knocked over and burned down or whatever. Because, I mean, every every teenager went out there drinking or every sightseer went out there poking their nose. And it's on private property. Right. People went out there anyways, right? So I think people forget how scary that, that first movie is, though. You know, anyone who's not like a real diehard horror fan because of, of the sequels which i love and but you know that first one's kind of almost just a pure horror movie it's got some comedy tones but not a lot right exactly i mean it's got that you know that cheese cheese factor to it not as much as evil dead 2 does <laughs> um, but yeah it's got the cheese factor but it definitely has some genuine scares and it's one of those that i do believe it, it still does stand the test of time to me whereas if you watch the original it it really doesn't stand the test yeah. of time you know, but this one kind of does. Now to divert us a touch, what did you think of the remake? I I'll let her talk about it. I really enjoyed part one. Part two, I I did love. I did like the acting in it. I did not love it as much as the first, as far as part one. But I did enjoy part one of it. I really did. Oh, we're talking about it. Okay, yeah. I thought you were. I thought we were talking about the remake. Oh, oh the uh, yeah, I meant the oh. Evil Dead remake. Oh, oh sorry, I thought we were talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mind it, you know, especially now with with all the new special effects and stuff. But I'm just, I'm just a fan of the. Even though there are in my and and on my honorable mentions, I do have a few remakes on there. Um, so I'm not one to just be like, oh god, it's a remake. I mean, I think there's some remakes that have done very well, and actually, one of the ones in my top five is a remake. It, it's good. I just I just love, just like you mentioned, just kind of like that guerrilla filmmaking aspect of the first one. I just don't, that, that's just me. But I, I can see how a lot of people do like the remake, and especially with, you know, now the better graphics, better special effects and all that. I mean, it is pretty damn scary and creepy. It, it, did, it did ramp up the blood. Yes, yes. And I'm a big fan of gore. So, <laughs> but I, I did a nice job of zigging and zagging where you didn't think they were going to towards the end. It kept it a little fresher, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they did. So it's definitely not. I've, I've definitely seen worse remakes out there, but I think for a new generation, as far as fans of the original, yeah, it's pretty good. I just, I really, truly love the original. So number four, Quattro. Numeros. <laughs> number four. Numero cat. Uh, uh, uh. Um, for my number four, 
Um, I have down Midsommar, which is an Arias. Um, Good choice. You like, you, you like your mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Never done it. Promise, but I mean, because I'm in the room. The but the the movie makes you feel like you You, have. You don't need to after you watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, because I've seen that movie, sure. (laughs) But um, yeah, daytime horror. I mean, he did as good as you can. I I think you could do with like a daytime horror film. Um, I feel like it was super graphic with like the gore and the blunt trauma. Which was <laughs> literally blunt. Yes. Literally. Like, yeah, I, I was like trying to figure out like how can I describe what like the type of gore that happens in this movie. It's like Gallagher, yeah. the guy who used to bust the watermelons with that yeah. talent. Yeah. I love it a lot. And I love how Ari Aster hides messages all over in his movie and hides like hints to future parts of the movie. Um I really like what I I I'm really interested in like culture and you know society stuff like that and that includes like international as well and so ever I've seen this movie like six times but ever since the first time I watched it it just immediately made me think about like how culture creates like different normatives like it made me think like maybe um, there's things in America that have that used to happen or still happen that people view as just as vile and like disturbing as I view this, even though this is kind of more folklore-like, the the story of Midsommar, it makes me think about, like, at times I would be like, well, you know, it's it's their culture. Like, it, they're doing what they've been doing for, like, forever, Centuries. which is twisted. But I to put myself, like, in that perspective, yeah. And I like that it can be viewed as a revenge story for Florence Pugh's character because... The guy that she dates is an ass and he sucks. And so I love that the ending brings justice to her. And um, yeah, the music and the ending, I love the score of it. Um, yeah, Midsommar. So you consider it a horror film. There are people that don't. What is it, a comedy, oh. Bill? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. no, 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 but, no, but some people will argue it's uh, just uh, just a drama. Oh, with a no, really, it's definitely a drama, but I, I feel like it can't be denied as a horror. But like as the blunt trauma, yeah, kind yeah, of. yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. But there are people that yeah. say it's not a horror film. It's just I think a, those are people have a very limited view of horror. You know, yeah. it's got to have a killer or a monster, right, or just blood and guts everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I will say it is one of the wildest sex scenes I've ever seen. I was getting oh, ready yeah. to say it's yeah. it's so yeah. wild, and you can't help but laugh. I remember being in a theater just when they started helping out. Crying. I was like, "Right, no helping yeah. hands." Oh, gosh, I about <laughs> lost it. In a personal pair, space, personal space, trouble, yeah. <laughs> trouble. And apparently, and in, in his uncut version, that that scene's even longer. I watched yeah. the uncut actually the last time I saw it. Is it is it longer? I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, a- it's not by a lot, but it's it's already it already seems to go on for like days. It does. So yeah. that particular scene. It's just visually as well. It's a visually stunning movie. Oh yeah. It's- yeah. Like when they're the end, just- that dinner scene, and it looks like the flowers are breathing, kind of ever yeah, so subtly. That's happening throughout. <laughs> yeah. But when they're just when, when they're just laying in that field and they're and they're tripping out, like that's just. Yeah. A yep. sensory. That's a moment of you got like that Suspiria feel, you know. You like got your Mandy feel. You like it's 
it's all there. Great film. Yeah. 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 Nathan, what you got? Number four. Is it me or is it Bill? Or are oh, we mixing it either, up? You know, whatever. All right. Go, Nathan. <laughs> jump right in there. Well, see, I asked because Bill on one of our top tens, I missed you completely. <laughs> and I, <went> <laughs> and I skipped you. So I just wanted to. I was going to say, thank God this. Nathan's a good editor. <laughs> <laughs> And I realized when someone didn't even share a top 10, it was like, wait a minute, we only have six. What happened? Oh, we've done that before. Where I was like, yeah. oh, God, this guy totally yeah. forgot two of them. So, <laughs> right. Must have been really good. So my number four, and Jordan, you'll probably notice too, I kind of have a more of a thing for the psychological horrors. This is the newest movie on my list. And I did have to stop because when I did my first top 10, I was like, these are all black and white movies before 19, like you know uh 60 so uh but this is the newest movie it's from 2001 which is still you know quite quite a while ago now and uh it's Mulholland Drive by by David Lynch which again this could be one and it probably you can make a much better case saying uh for people saying that maybe this is not a horror film in the traditional sense uh, more so than Midsommar uh, it's it's hard to explain because like many of Lynch's movies it's a kind of waking nightmare and the things that happen in it don't necessarily make a lot of traditional sense and yet there's a dream logic to it that i think makes it very creepy because it deals with personality sort of shifts and characters are one person and then they might be another person and naomi watts and laura harris are the stars of this naomi watts she's come to hollywood she's She's fresh-faced and ready to have a career as an actress. And she gets involved in this kind of murder mystery that almost does feel like something you might see on Riverdale or something of that nature, you know, initially. After Twin Peaks happened, David Lynch was originally sort of grooming this for television. And, of course, television looked at it and said, we don't know what to do with this. And he took it and adapted it into this feature-length movie that starts to go some really strange places. And some of the imagery in here is horrifying because you almost can't precisely put your handle on what's happening. At the same time that this story is happening with the, with the mystery, there are random scenes of two guys in a diner talking about the guy's dream that there is possibly a demon in the, behind the dumpster of this, uh, almost like a Denny's, you know? Mm. And, you, I think it's called the, the Winkies in the in the film, and all of these small non sequiturs kind of just keep mounting with this strange feeling of identity crisis. Is what I would would ultimately suggest is happening. But you don't need to piece all of this together in order to enjoy it. It almost works better in its fragmentation. And there's very few movies. When I first saw it, I thought I, I don't. It feels a little more cohesive than some of what Lynch has done. And I think some people maybe like some of his much more bizarre stuff, but this one has brought me back several times. And I think that what's fascinating about it is it does feel like a dream that you're sort of halfway between sleep and halfway between waking. And yet you can still watch it. You can still piece together a plot if you want to. You can still kind of solve the mystery, if you will. And uh, I think it's fantastic. And it has some great performances and it has some of his most creepy imagery i think in the film because you can connect the dots it isn't quite as random as some of his other films yeah i've yet to see that but i'm definitely i i i know a little bit about it but i definitely want to see it now yeah, i haven't sure. seen it in a long time i definitely got to rewatch that one good call yeah i believe too i i'm not i swear it's like uh, we always say that bill is like the spokesman for tubi i sound like the spokesman for hbo max <laughs> but last i checked mulholland drive was on hbo max as well yeah, double feature guys 
HBO Max, Tubi, throw those dollars at us over here. Yeah, <laughs> Mulholland <laughs> Drive and the Innocents. That's, uh... There you go. There you go. Hook up Phantom Galaxy and Zero Dark Nerdy if you're listening. <laughs> there you go. I, I don't even know if they get it in Canada, to be honest with you. <laughs> Bill, what's, what's your number four? See, the way I did my list is what movies are, regardless of time of day, regardless of time of year, if it's on, I'm watching. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So for me, number four, Night of the Living Dead. George A. Romero, Night of the Living Dead, Dwayne Jones. You can watch that on a social level. Is it talking about racial in, uh, injustice? Is it talking about, you know, the black guy always dies at the end? Right. Is it a zombie film? Again, it's that guerrilla Mondo filming done on a shoestring budget. He lost the uh, copyright to the film and anybody, he's not making any money off the film anymore. Uh, but it's it's fun it's weird to say that it's fun but as a guy eating meat that they just bought at the butcher put a little bit of, of uh, ketchup on it and it looks like he's eating his guts <laughs> right. a, a guy who's recruiting his friends to be investors one of the guys is um one of the local uh tv station weathermen is one of the guys that invested in it one guy owned a car dealership and he's one of the like, it's one of these Patreon things. You pay enough money, you can be in the film. Well, that's yeah. what they did. He was the original Patreon. <laughs> but when, but there, I mean, for as schlocky, you know, quote unquote schlocky as it was, mm -hmm. those scenes where the daughter is in the basement, like, holy crap. Or, I mean, they're coming to get you, Barbara. I mean, that's the eternal line. But it's one of those films you watch in the dark, you watch at night, you can pull that on every year for the rest of your life and still get something out of that film so i can't give enough i mean he went on to day of the dead and dawn of the dead and etc mm -hmm. etc but i think this was the one that kind of set this like there were zombie films before it right but that's the kind of one that set it on its heels yeah no agreed Ex excellent choice i'm a i'm a huge fan of zombie movies and Night living dead is definitely one of my all-time favorites and yeah i did go on to continue to do those and he did uh what was the last one he did i know he did diary uh, there was a revival of, of the dead, I think. Yeah, yeah. And and they, what did they just announce it on Shutter coming out in July? Is his long lost film? Really? That oh, he the, did the, about an, an amusement yeah. park. Something about an amusement. Oh, park. Yeah, I think it's what's called like amusement or something like that. Amusement or, amusement or something. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was unfinished or the, the wife re-edited it or I don't know if they, it's just raw footage. That's but one thing you got to give. Uh, Ramiro, you talk about guerrilla filmmaking. I mean, right. he was a guerrilla filmmaker at the beginning, and then, like, well into his latter years, he's still running around in the woods in PA trying to get movies made <laughs> in the same <laughs> style in which he started, you know? So there's something to be said for that. That's true. That's true. For uh, for, for my number four, and like I said, this was this was tough to do, and I, again, just uh, kind of like Bill, I wanted, you know, my, my list is a little bit nostalgia, little bit popcorn flick again something that if it's on i'm definitely going to watch it evil dead of course number four i'm going to have to go with probably one of my top favorite stephen king movies and the books are obviously a lot of them are fantastic not all his movies are great but this is just one of my favorite ones as a kid growing up and i can watch over and over again is christine so, yes so, something about that uh, that fifty eight Plymouth Fury, just uh, you know, the cherry red in there, come, being able to come. Once back you alive. see those headlights come on, oh gosh, where he's like George Thurgood, yeah, oh gosh, yeah, 
and uh, you know John Carp John John Carpenter at, at his best directing the film. Uh, for those of you who've never seen it, just about this kid Arnie Cunningham, who's pretty much kind of like the school nerd. He gets bullied, finds this car at a junkyard. Gentleman doesn't really want to sell it to him, but does. Ends up fixing it up, and the car is pretty much possessed. But it also changes arnie at the same time too so he goes from like the the class dork to kind of the cool kid and the car has a, a soul whatever of its own and uh takes it out on those that have been uh, very very mean to uh arnie cunningham in some interesting ways so there's uh, some very cool scenes in there where he's chasing down the the big kid through the through the alley and the alley gets smaller and smaller and he thinks he's beat it where the car's on fire and chasing down the, the big, big bully. I can't think of his name. And then uh, after they mess up the car, one of one of my just all-time favorite scenes, he takes the car back to the shop trying to fix it up, and then he sees that the car slowly, I think it puts together like the, the side view mirror, and then he stands off, and again, just like uh, Bill said, the headlights pop on, and he just goes, show me, and the car just fixes itself and puts itself back together again. So The original Transformer. Yeah, <laughs> yep. they, but but they Mike, do an amazing okay. job though of making that car a character, you know, yes. and making it fearsome. Like it's like the Terminator. It's every bit as scary as Schwarzenegger oh, when it's trying to tear its way down that alleyway, and you realize it's gonna it's gonna do whatever it needs to do to get through the alleyway. Yep, yep. The original T one thousand. That's a great. That's a great way to put it. It is, and uh, yeah, it, it's just done very well, especially for for that time period too. So. That is uh, that is my number four. Moving on to number three with Miss Jordan. Um, I have my number three as a movie I've actually only seen once, but I I've looked at like some film analysis of it, and I kind of just always find myself thinking about it. So I feel like it's 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 definitely worth my the number three slot. Is it follows? It's a it's horror, and it's it's commentary about um, actually STDs and. It was inspired by the director's ha the director having a dream, recurring dreams where he would see someone, um, or he would be followed by somebody that that looks like normal people, but only you can see the person that's following you. So, to me, for like I always think I love the soundtrack of this movie. It's very synthy and like Stranger Things. Very like '80s reminiscent, and I love synth and like anything horror. Soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And um, so for Christmas, you're getting a flock of seagulls, OP. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very. It has. It's. It's a very straightforward horror, but it has these weird dreamlike qualities that are, you know, inspired by the the director came up with this idea from a dream he had. And that you can't tell what time period is. It's modern, but there's like a girl uses a shell phone, which is like a cell phone and like a seashell. But also, they only watch classics on eighties tele, like eighties televisions. Hmm. So you can't really tell what time period it is. And then I just like that aspect about it. I think it's really creative, and it's really horrifying to me that this girl. The story is that this girl like loses her virginity, and after that, she sees this this. Uh, I mean, it's a different person. Usually, every time she sees that someone's following her, but she knows it's the same entity that's following her around, which kind of you know circles back to the STD commentary I was talking about. 
Um, she sees it everywhere. Um, there's, it, it's comical at times. Like there's a point where she sees like an old naked guy standing on the roof of a house, just looking down at her. <laughs> and she, you know, she starts running and it, it is very, very scary. Sometimes the entity takes on like no person and it's just throwing people around and all that. Um, one of the scenes that stuck in my head is she's at a friend's house and the guy's mother comes upstairs and you just think something's like off with her, but you're not totally set that she's possessed by the entity right now. But she jumps onto her son and like just starts eating him basically. Mm. And like he opens the door and he's like, mom? And she jumps onto him, eats, like, starts taking chunks out of him. A lot of disturbing imagery in the movie. Yeah, that's something I've really, really been wanting to rewatch lately. It's always on my mind for some reason. So, yeah, it follows my number three. There you go. I've only seen it once. And it was probably right movie. when it came out. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's yeah, I need to few... watch it again. It's been a while. Bill. What are we on? Number three now, right? Okay, now, so for my number, my top three, my four and five bounced around. I had six sure. or seven. Mm-hmm. My top three were my top three. Mm-hmm. And my number three is the one I thought you were going to say before when you alluded to a remake. Mm-hmm. Now, this one could, or you could argue, isn't. Okay. And that's 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, nice. Very nice. I love this film. It was one of those ones I saw, you know, every big uh, city has their station where they'll show the movies at night, 11 o'clock, you're like, I'm in grade 10, so I'm like 14 or so, watching this thing. I'm, I don't know, has Jordan seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers 78? No. Oh, boy. There's an ending <laughs> with Donald Sutherland. That's right. It it will be entrenched in your mind forever. <laughs> That's not Trust the only me. image in that movie. No, no. But listen to the cast. You've got Donald Sutherland. You've got Brooke Adams. You've got Jeff Goldblum as both creepy and suave at the same time. Right. You just you've described got, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> you've got. You, you've got. You've got the best non-Star Trek role Leonard Nimoy has ever done. Mm. You've got the director Don Siegel. You've got Kevin McCarthy from the original. You've got Art Hindle, who plays the most standoffish husband you're ever going to see in your life. It's a, a, is it a talk about attack of people living in the city versus living in the country? Is it about a suburban life? Is it about the treatment of outsiders? Is it the communism that's rampant at that point? Is it uh, just simply a continuation of the 1955 version? Because at one point, Kevin McCarthy comes out when he's in a taxi and says, stop, stop, stop. Was he warning about something that happened 30 years ago in the original film? Absolutely brilliant film. If you watch really, really closely, at the beginning, there's a scene of a priest on mm-hmm, yeah. um, on the swing set. That's Robert De Niro. Or Robert Duvall. Duvall. That's Robert Duvall. Wow. And he didn't want to get paid for it because he's uncredited. They gave him an Eddie Bauer jacket to do that scene. That's what they paid him. <laughs> Damn, that's it, it's, awesome. a, it's, it's a brilliant, when you see Nimoy with his black gloves on talking very pedantically and he's very calmly and he's the, the doctor and brilliant, brilliant movie. Anybody who hasn't seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers, please go see it. 
Gosh, great, great one right there. That's been that's another one. It's been a long, long time for me. So we'll have to double up. We got we got a lot of uh, catching up to do on our dad and daughter moving. And, and, and so I see Jordan is taking notes as we're sitting. Oh here. yeah, I oh, am. so are we. We talking about hopefully the audience is too when they when they listen to this. We talk about remakes. That's one of those cases where the the fifties body snatchers. The right. 78 body sensors and even the 93 body sensors. That's three really good versions of the same story. Yeah. Uh, and, and each one creeping its own way. I agree though. I think the 78 one is the, the, the top one. Nice. Nice. Nathan. So what's, what's your number three? So my number three is a movie that I think by most standards, we're not going to say it's scary, but I talked to bill today. I was like, is it a horror movie? Is it not? It's it's a horror movie. It's going on the list. Uh, number three is King Kong from 1933. Like I mentioned, first movie I remember really seeing. And does it really work for me as a horror movie? As a kid, I think it freaked me out a little bit. But the world that it creates and the way in which it creates that world is always stuck in my mind. Skull Island is one of the most intriguing places, I think. And yet, what you were working with in 33, the stop motion the backdrop sets and all of this, that they're able to make that world come to life and to have that, if for not a very long movie, you have this great mystery buildup about what's going to be behind that wall. And then what's behind that wall, particularly in 33, totally matches up with your expectations. And then the movie could be over after they leave Skull Island. You've seen monster fights. You've had this, uh, the girl being kidnapped. And yet the best part of the movie, the part that adds a little bit of the, the tragedy and the, and then some of the layers to it happens in that last half hour. I just don't think that when you're talking about giant monster movies, which is one of my kind of favorite subgenres, that it's ever been done quite as well. Does it have flaws looking back on it? Yeah, but the flaws almost give it some of its character. You know, even the special effects and the way that Kong's fur moves in a weird way, almost like he has he has bugs crawling on him because of the the, the fingerprints that are left from the stop motion. Right. I you know, in its imperfections, it kind of gains a sort of dreamlike purity i guess you could say so for me number three king kong excellent choice well listen before we get to my number three a little sidebar here are you uh pumped for godzilla versus kong and are you going to check it out in a theater if so uh I, i'm honestly because it, it's going to come out right around my birthday i'm honestly thinking of renting a theater and just a family go and we'll just chill out and hang because i feel like we kind of have to see it i am looking forward to it i've enjoyed the legendary movies i'm a big godzilla fan too yes. so We've got a big Kong episode coming up soon where we're going to go through all the movies, all of them, even the really bad ones. But yeah, how about you guys? I, I'm looking forward to it. I think just as a big popcorn movie. Oh, and I, yeah. I, I agree 100%. To me, like it's a definite popcorn film. Same thing if I can rent out a theater, which a lot of theaters are doing it nowadays yeah. for you know, a couple hundred bucks. And if you which get isn't enough, bad, you get, yeah, it's like 25, 30 bucks a piece, you get enough people. So. That one, as much as I know that I can watch it right from my couch, I want the surround sound. I want yeah. the movie theater popcorn. I will sneak in my Sour Patch Kids because I'm not paying five bucks for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely want to see it on the big screen. What about you? Yeah, same. Yeah. Just like you said, popcorn film. I don't know if I would go out of my way to see it, but if like <laughs> if my friends are like, we're running out of theater, like, do you want to you know chip in to go see? I'd be like, yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely. And Bill, I thought they did a nice job of Skull Island. Oh, uh, well, it's funny. Just before we came on here, uh -huh. I was watching uh, the hockey highlights for the games for last night, and all of a sudden came on the trailer. Yeah. And, and I mean, I only have about a 54-incher, but even in a 54-inch TV, <laughs> it looks impressive. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I can only imagine on a... He has his a, own axe now. Come on, guys. Yeah. Gosh, what a good trailer. I love trailers so much. That's that's the one thing I miss about movies. That's that's for, that's for a whole other episode. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I know people that will refuse to watch a trailer because you get everything in the trailer. Yeah, that's true. But that's, that's honestly, like, my... Like besides the movie itself, and hopefully the movie that we're you know you, whenever you go to the movie you're like I hope it's good. If not, yeah. you can always fall back on the trailers, and that's what normally you're talking about is oh my gosh that trailer was. My good. kids that and I sometimes have trailer night, night, you know, yeah. particularly when some of the movies aren't quite you know my my wife's not sure about showing them all the movie. I'm like yeah you can watch the trailer, <laughs> get a little bit of the of the of the nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. Trailers get me really, really pumped. Like that's if a trailer gets me pumped, I will. I'm gonna watch it somehow. Mm-hmm. If I well, like Jordan, A24, you're looking forward to the Green Knight. Oh, <laughs> it was supposed God. to come out already, Man, and I'm still sitting there in my mind. I want to see that so bad. Hey, here, I haven't seen the trailer for it. I mean, I know you can see it on There's YouTube, like but God, I can't wait I've to seen. see it. Yeah, it, it should have. We should, we should have it on Blu-ray by now, but yep. it's just never. Uh... Yeah, hopefully soon enough. Number three, I got to go with uh, what's on my shirt right here. Lost nice. Boys classic. I know I'm kind of sticking in the in the 80s. I, I will divert a little bit for my for my top two. Uh, by far, my favorite vampire movie of all time. I think it's probably, in my opinion, Joel Schumacher's best film. We all, you know, remember the the unfortunate tragedies that are Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. But before that. <laughs> He was, uh, you know, he helmed this movie back in 87. Just great performances by Jason Patrick. Kiefer Sutherland is just great as uh, as David. The whole scene in the cave, you know, you're, you're, you're enjoying those maggots? You're, what do you mean? Oh, you're eating maggots over there. And then, the, obviously, them hanging from the, the poles on the train tracks. And my, uh, probably one of my first crushes, uh, Jamie Gertz, on top of that. But, I thought you were going to say the sax man. <laughs> so, I was, so, <laughs> <laughs> this sax man gosh is so great so that was actually going to be my other favorite scene I, how can you forget the sax man with just the, the it's so great it's so random and it's a whole it's musical so video random so the funny thing is i started getting vertigo comics has a lost boy series out and the sax man is actually kind of I don't want to say he's one of the main characters, but he is a character <laughs> in the comic book series, and it's hysterical. So yeah, it's you know it's eighties. You got the Feldmans in it, and, 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 and Edward oh, Edward yeah. Edward Herman is awesome. awesome. What's that? Uh, yeah, uh, that was Ed Herman. Ed Herman. Ed Herman. He's brilliant in yep. that. Yep. He's the yeah the video store guy, and then of course yes. um, uh, what's his not his name the 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 grandfather um. Bernard Hughes, who's oh the, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. it's a Don't great touch cast. My here. <laughs> yeah, I showed that. I did show that one to my kids, uh, and right now they're six and nine, and like uh-huh. they loved it. And it was like that perfect level of you know, it's it's violent, but it's not an excessive R, you know, oh, and there's not a lot of other material other than the violence. So. Yeah, it, it really does hold up to me. I, I'm always goes back and forth between Lost Boys and Fright Night, but they're yeah. they're they're the top of the the pick. The Near Dark too, you know. Those oh are- God, I love Near Dark. So we but did you, a whole you, vampire you, episode. You can't Netflix. watch that film without people are strange. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beginning. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely yep. brilliant. Sound soundtrack is just as important. Or cry, 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 little, cry, cry, little, cry, little sister. Little sister. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sax man. 
And and he's looking all buffed and tanned and oiled up. Oiled up. I don't know how he didn't catch on fire from those uh, (laughs) cans that were on fire in front of him. He's an interesting guy. He's still sort of milking that uh, whole thing to this day. Yeah, you can look him up. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he seems like a really nice guy. He said it was so funny because they they got him out there and he did it basically like a music video is what he said it felt like. Gosh, I'd I'd love to see him at a Comic-Con. Oh, that's another thing I miss. Damn you, COVID. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's it's odd to ask a guy to take his shirt off to take a picture of him. <laughs> can you get you all oiled up and can you hold out the saxophone right here and, and i think they had to tone him down a little because at that point he was kind of he was straight up going for like he'd, he'd show up on stage wearing like sex toys and stuff so it's just part of his shtick and they i think they I think they toned him down a little <laughs> Here's to sax, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, here's to using, what is it, Clorox as a cologne? What was it uh, Windex? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does the whole thing with it. I'm just wondering, like, when they're in there, like, in, in that scene, when they're doing the script and they're just like, you know what we need right now? Really, really buff dude, oiled up, like, chains around his neck playing the saxophone. That's exactly what this scene needs right now. I'm just wondering how they came up with that, but you know what? Is, isn't it? Is it supposed well, to be the original Santa Peter Cruz? Pan? Right? Wasn't that in the original <laughs> Peter Pan? <laughs> right. But is is that supposed to be Santa Cruz essentially on the boardwalk? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's what's great about it is that anything can happen. Vibe of the boardwalk is Agreed. what they're going for there, right? Agreed. All right, rounding it out to our, our top two now. Um, for my number two, I have another. Um, a very subtle horror, um, The Witch, by directed by Robert Eggers. Um, yeah, I love that movie. Um, a lot of it gets it's the people that I know that don't like it don't like it because it's slow or you know just not active enough for them. But I think that's what makes it so terrifying. The it's just the I don't even it's just like it's it's realistic and the folktale story that it is it's like if you think back to those very early times just i don't even know how to explain it it's just because i have to defend myself because i know so many people who don't like it because it's slow well yeah it's it's a folktale it's a horror like it's it's folktale horror it's like what you realize is and uh, a Puritan from this time period, this is yeah. exactly what they would have thought was happening. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. This is true. This is a true story. Like it says at the beginning, you know, uh, yeah. a, a true story. It's like, well, that's because, and it helps you understand some of the witch trials and everything that went on. And you realize, oh, wow, this was a whole different ball game. And then you, you look around and you think, maybe not as different. Maybe we haven't come as far as we right. thought. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I love, I love witchy horror as well. I like, Especially that, like, where it can relate to the actual witch trials and stuff because the absurdity of w- what witch trials were. And it was just like, that woman can do math? She's a witch. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, so I love anything with a, a witch in it and witch commentary. And especially when they, you know, get revenge. And um, and they're like, okay, you're going to call me a witch? Then I'll be a witch. And... That's kind of what happens at the at the end of the movie, and I love the goat, uh, oh, Black Philip, when it starts talking to her. Like it, it, at first, it's funny, but then it just get well, you know, he mauls the dad, and then um, there's that, yeah, and then it, she talks to it at the very end, and it's it, it gets very unsettling, 
and yeah um i love what's her name is on the rise right now because of the um, oh the Anya Taylor, Anya Taylor. Oh. yeah she's on the, yeah. and she was also good in split i i, I thought she i was thought that split. was her in split yep. yeah yep. she's been she's been around for a minute now she's yeah. there's a she's I know it's now getting a queen's gambit gave yeah is giving her the yeah. major the new version of emma she's in it and she's really good in that i mean it's not horror but it, mm. you know it's I a, heard that a really she's good. in talks to be the furiosa in the Oh, yes. Yeah. What I like about that choice is one, someone under the age of 20 likes a slow burn because a lot of people don't have the patience. Right. I love a slow burn as long as the payoff is worth it. Yes. If the payoff is worth it, bang. Don't sit through Hagazusa. <laughs> he always yeah. warns me. I think it's a little better than that, but it's uh, yeah. yeah no, I think no. Jordan would appreciate Agassiz. But what what I was going to ask is, what made you choose the witch over the lighthouse? Right. Um, <laughs> well, okay. less old well, men I, farting. I, it's possibly the reason. <laughs> I like the witch more than the lighthouse because I like slow burn with a flowing narrative more than I do an art house sort of vibe that the lighthouse is it's more avant-garde for sure yeah, yeah. i liked the lighthouse i thought it has some very memorable shots that i still think about and i've only seen it one time in theaters um i thought it was really funny i have a poster of it like i really enjoyed lighthouse but the witch to me um just the scenes in general that stick out like you know the black phillips scenes um where the the little brother gets the exorcism with the little brother mm -hmm. And the family dynamic of the whole thing, just the way that narrative flows, I love it. And I love how she goes from, I'm not a witch, I'm not a witch, I'm trying to tell you I'm not a witch, to she just owns, she owns it. And, but yeah, like I said, I like the lighthouse. Just, you know, weird. <laughs> we, we saw it together in theaters. I, I, I liked it, but yeah, it's one of those, I don't know how many other times I could watch it yeah. again. I'm not going to like and, and go again, out of my way. I don't think there was a slow burn and the payoff at the end like there is with the witch. That's just my opinion. They're very kind of different. Uh, the, the other one's almost like hallucinogenic and psychedelic and the witch right. is it's a lot more as a horror film. I think it's a lot more fine tuned as a as a it was more disturbing to me. Right. The lighthouse yeah. is nuts, though. Oh, it's <laughs> in a good it's way. In a great Defoe, way. I mean, Defoe's a monster. Let, let, let's face it. His monologue in there. Is he goes off and he's like talking oh, about yeah. Poseidon's trident because yep. some guy yep. didn't want to eat his lobster. Exactly. And I mean, Robert Panson is they fantastic too. Great. I mean, they both did great. Uh, don't get me wrong. But yeah, if I had to compare the two, I, I, I'd rather watch The Witch over The Lighthouse yeah. any day of the week. It's uh, a little creepier. Yeah. Yeah. I will less say body that. fluids again, yeah. <laughs> and and, 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 and less, yeah. less naked mermaids. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although the scene when Pattinson is screaming into the wind covered in the chamber pot filth, <laughs> you know, he's, he's got to take the dump of stuff and it just blows into his face. That's oh, yeah. Commentary on something. Yeah. Uh, I will say that the lighthouse has one of the most, I forgot, like it has one of the most horrifying scenes to me is where Robert Pattinson finally gets up to the top of the lighthouse that's the goal of what he's trying to do the whole movie is just see what's up there and it's just that bass boosted her like her <laughs> like horrific noise and he's just screaming yeah. 
I think I was very like for some reason that that really really terrified me and gave me chills. That resonated with me for a while. Yeah, I was like, oh god, and you don't even. I don't think you even really see what it is he's you seeing, know. and it, it's just. It's the sonic it's kind so of horror scary. aspect where you're playing with sound and. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll switch it up a little bit. Nathan, do you want to go ahead and do uh, your number two? Sorry, Nathan, two. I cut you off. You're talking about Sundance? Oh, I just mentioned <laughs> that. Uh, oh, and I'm trying to think of the, the 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 director of the movie Kill List and Sightseers, Ben Wheatley. I saw his new movie uh, at Sundance from home. Uh, it, it's called uh, In the Earth, and it has a lot of that kind of playing with the sound and the imagery and whatnot in a way that's very similar and has that kind of psychedelic car so if uh if you're looking for something in that vein in uh, whenever it does come out in the earth is definitely worth seeing uh kind of trippy and under undercurrents of full car too my number two is alien and i'll be honest this probably could be a tie with aliens I know everyone goes back and forth, which one's better, Alien or Aliens? I think Alien is the scarier movie. I actually believe I saw Aliens first. And with Aliens, you have, uh, obviously, it kind of operates primarily as an action movie, so you can kind of get really into it in that way. And as a kid, you're so exhilarated that maybe you're not scared. Alien, on the other hand, it just the way it uses that setting. And it's solid as a science fiction movie, I think. It's solid as a story about these people who are sort of, you know, they're 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 space truckers for for lack of a better term in this universe, and the world that that's created is so real and tactile. Even now, when you watch it and realize, well, it feels dated. What really Scott's doing there and the world he creates, it's you can feel it, you can be there, and then everything else is kind of, you know, this is probably one of the more traditional horror movies on my list in the sense that it kind of is the slasher or the haunted house in space, right? You you know. One kind of entity is stalking people through the uh, through the bowels of the ship, but the way in which it is done, it feels almost more, uh, you know, the ambiance to it. It feels like a like a roller coaster ride, or a both movies do. You know, it's almost like an installation uh, haunted house ride than it is a movie in some ways. You know, we don't watch it for the plot; we watch it for the visceral thrills. And you know, obviously when horror i think initially at some point has all drawn us in by some level of of the visceral thrills and when that thing pops out you know in the middle of the first alien movie you know that's the moment a lot of people remember but the one that freaked me out as a kid was what happens with the android the scene involving ian holm you know because that's almost totally unexpected you're not even thinking on that wavelength you you the movie's called alien i'm expecting you know this life form to show up eventually but the haunting when they find that giant ship and the pods and everything and, and Sigourney Weaver's performance. I mean, the performance in the first movie isn't as notable because they're all about on the same level, but her performance, right. particularly in aliens is so strong. And I, a lot of what carries over, I think they're both equally good. Uh, the question just is, is aliens a horror film or is it more of an action film? But I, yeah, definitely uh, those two movies. Nice. Nice. I, I was going to say, you can't talk, not talk about Lance Hendrickson. Yeah, yeah, he's good. yeah, and and John Hurt, John Hurt was I thought absolutely wonderful, and Yafed Kodo in the first one I thought Yafed Kodo was really strong. Harry Dean Stanton. They're all good. Harry uh, Dean Tom Stanton. Scarrett, there's nobody who's weak really. Yeah, yeah. Bill Paxson in the second one. Bill, yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, who are we on? Bill. Yeah. So my my number, 
My number two, I think, is a better movie. I will argue it's among the top five American films. Okay. But it's not... I had something edged out for horror, and my number two is Jaws. You could argue Creature Feature. I'm not going to split hairs. I got one of my best friends will go down to the death and said it's not a horror movie. It's just an action movie. If it scares you, it's a horror movie. Yeah. I dare any woman or man around 1975 who was willing to swim in the ocean by themselves. Right. Right. I, th I think Robert Shaw's performance is the greatest character performance in American cinema. I think he was absolutely brilliant. A shame. He was robbed of an Oscar nomination. Richard Dreyfuss as this kind of annoying, rich, you know, know-it-all college kid from, you know, the West Coast or what have you. Mm -hmm. You've got Roy Scheider as the hardened cop who's just trying to clean up the town. He's obviously had trauma from other places. Mm -hmm. His interactions with the wife. You've got the prototypical mayor of the town who wants to just keep the money rolling and keep everything going. You've got the soundtrack. You've got the that ending scene of... I, I'll, I'll spoil it. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. yeah. Of, of, of Robert Shaw getting bitten down on gave me, I wouldn't say gave me nightmares, but stuck with me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think the brilliance of it is that the fact that Brucey, they had so many mechanical problems with Brucey that he couldn't be seen nearly to the extent Spielberg wanted to right. added to it because instead of all these extensive, you know, uh, jaw out of the water, you had to imagine and you had the, the, the musical score, and I, I think it's an absolutely, I think that's Spielberg's magnus opus. Forget about E.T., forget about Close Encounters, forget about whatever. I think Jaws is his Hallmark movie. Damn, damn, bold words right there. I, you know, I, I don't know, if you, have, have you seen the Spielberg documentary that was on in, like, regular HBO? I think it might have, no, it was before HBO Max, but they had... A documentary it was about an hour and a half long and of course be, uh, towards the beginning of it it's about jaws and you nailed it on the head there like the the mechanical shark just kept messing up so they had to do a lot more with the music and the suspense and everything else and it is uh it's a classic and just like you said uh, a lot of people were very afraid to go into the water and i mean i think it still kind of resonates anytime you see something on the news about you know even if it's just one shark attack off the coast of florida People resonate and they think Jaws at the end of the day. I know I do. So. I mean, I even like that. I like that subtle scene where Scheider's with his wife and they're having a couple drinks and they're sitting looking at the water and she goes, you want to fool around? He goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's just got these subtleties to it that, you know, and that scene where they slice it open and you see all the, you know, the trash cans falling out and you see the, you know, I think it's, and, and they were guessing. They didn't know the, they don't know the science today. Right. Let alone in 1975, right? So, right. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure Jordan has seen Jaws. Yes, it's been a very, like a very long time, but I've seen it. I need to rewatch it because I can remember, like I'm remembering scenes you say, but I couldn't, if, I, if you asked me to like describe the whole narrative, I'm not sure that I could, but. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. <laughs> <laughs> and it still holds up, Bob. Uh... We, yeah. I, I took my son to see it at a revival at the same theater we were talking about uh, a couple of years ago. And over the summer, we saw the drive-in with Jurassic Park back-to-back. -back. And nice. as good as those effects in Jurassic Park are, it just, and it's still a great, it's a, still a good movie too, but it just doesn't hold 
to Jaws because of what they did, because of what they had to do, because of their limitations. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely, definitely a classic. Mm-hmm. For my number two, I went I went a little bit off base just because uh, when I first saw the film, I really, really fell in love with it. And again, this is one to where they did a remake two years later and did a really good job with the remake. So I'll start with the original. It's uh, Let the Right One In. It's a Ooh. Swedish horror, uh, horror film, vampire film about a, a girl who's a vampire who befriends a boy who's bullied. And uh, it kind of gives a little bit about her. I don't want to say backstory, but they end up being friends, obviously, primarily at nighttime because he's a vampire. He doesn't know this. And then as the story goes on, she's realizing that he's getting bullied. But on top of that, her, her caretaker, who is trying to do his best to make sure she's not often killing people, ends up kind of messing up and go from there definitely watch it. it it's definitely one of the i don't want to say one of the first foreign films i really love because I, uh one of the first japanese uh horror films that i and this is probably I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit i don't want to ruin my honorable mentions but let the right one in i just thoroughly enjoyed and on top of that i think to me it the scene in the swimming pool is probably one of the most visually stunning scenes i've seen in really any horror movie as far as doing a lot with a little to where and it, it's it's rare in a horror film you're actually cheering right and you were physically Ooh. cheering during that scene exactly i mean i'm not i'm not a fan of bullies don't get me wrong but what she does to these kids and and again you don't see it all but you just see enough and i don't know what it is in the cinematography in that scene i mean it's it's a beautifully shot film but that scene alone always stands with me through the test of time. And then they did the remake called let me in with Chloe Grace Moritz two years after. And again, I thought it was very, very well done. Uh, the pool scene wasn't as effective, but I think it's because after seeing let the right one in, that's just very hard to top. It was pretty good, but not as good as that. So that's kind of my little off base, not really off base, but just one that if it's on, whether if it's let the right one in or let me in, I'll watch it. And again, both uh, both films, I think, are, are very well acted. Uh, great cinematography. Again, I think the scores are fantastic for both. And even though, yes, the, the first one is, is Swedish and it's got, you know, got subtitles, but you got to do what you got to do. At the end of the day, it's still a great flick. See, I never saw the remake because I love the original so much. The remake is didn't... actually good. People, I think yeah. people expected it. Like, let's not mess with it. But right. And it it removes... T- to me, what was the one sole weakness of the first movie, which was the scene with the cats. It just, from a yes. visual perspective, it just that because of how well everything was done, the CGI cat scene is there like, well, that just kind of sticks out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting, though, because and I get, are we allowed to talk spoilers about this? Oh, one? yeah, with spoilers. You yeah. can swear, you can cuss, all that. So, yeah, all well, well, so spoilers for Let the Right One Anyone's Listening. It is based off of a novel, mm-hmm. and the one thing that they don't get into in the Swedish film is that her caretaker, they, they reduce enough of it. So it seems like her caretaker has that Oscar is headed potentially for the same life, right. As the caretaker, like that's the remake takes that tact that oh, you're, you're being that, makes that he's going to be the next caretaker. And then let me in. They actually show that like he finds a picture of the little boy of uh, Richard Jenkins character. He finds a picture of his little boy. But in the novel, that character that is caretaking her, he's a much creepier character. He's actually oh, yeah. a predator of, of kids, and that's why he's with her. So 
in a sense, at the end of the original, let the right one. And there's almost maybe a, a potentially hopeful ending because maybe they're going to go a different direction. Maybe Oscar can get beyond this violence that was in his future, even though he's with the vampire. But right. let me in is kind of darker because it's just the cycle continues in a sense. Yeah, so. I never even thought about it like that. Damn, good call, Nathan. Nice. You know what? I'm surprised we've made it this far. We haven't had a single crossover movie. No, yeah, we haven't. I don't think I don't think my number one's going to cross over, so we'll see. We'll go ahead and number one. Um, my number one ever since it came out and I first saw it, and I've seen it probably more than ten times now, is Hereditary. Um, another Ari Aster movie that makes me very excited to see what else he's going to do, because really, Midsommar and Hereditary are, I think, his only features. He has quite a few short films which are very good, but. And disturbing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meet the Johnsons, is it? Mm. Oh, that's a fun film. <laughs> that's, that's a very, that's very fun is not film. the word I would use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a film. <laughs> Hereditary is, it is a great horror movie. It's, the narrative is amazing. It is what the title is. What follows that family is hereditary, and that's what's so scary about it is it's inescapable. And um, I really, really hate. I mean, I'm I'm not a big fan of the Oscars in general, just because so much stuff that they overlook, and they constantly they overlook horror and have mm -hmm. been since The Exorcist. And I don't know why, because Tony Collette gives one of the best performances uh, like from 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 a like a, a a mom that i've ever seen like a a mom who's under the stress of her family and she's kind of made out to be the bad guy that she's crazy but she's she is the backbone of the family and so that's why all the pressure's on her and tony collette gives the most amazing dramatic scenes and hereditary and that genuinely deserve some kind of at least nomination um she should have won yeah, it, yeah that year it's, it's no 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 amazing. doubt and the son as well alex wolf does a great performance because he goes under a lot of turmoil too so i really like hereditary just because the story he managed to make a story like a horror. It's not where you have to debate: is it like action, horror, drama? It's horror, and I feel like <laughs> he did it in such a such a new way because it's also kind of subtle until it's you get halfway it's through not. the movie. <laughs> and, and it's not. I, I, it, until you see a hydro pool, right? <laughs> it's. it's it builds and builds and you're kind of like, okay, well, where is this going? And then, you know, Charlie sticks her head out the window and it goes all to hell from there. So, but it's, it, it's definitely a film that requires multiple viewings. Yeah. Yes. Because oh, yeah, that, that, that last 25 minutes, you gotta, um, you gotta be sober as a judge mm -hmm. to get that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time I watch it, even having watched it, probably more than 10 times, I catch something new. Because um, he does, like I was talking about Midsommar, he puts so many like hints and so much symbolism in all of his films about in foreshadowing what's going to happen, um, social commentary, everything like that. Um, it's disturbing in the, like Tony Collette's character, her family has gone through so much and has dealt with so much horrible things. It's just, it's so normal to her. 
And you see that in her character, that she's just kind of unfazed by, you know, the death, the how the movie starts is the death of the grandmother. She's unfazed by that, and she's she's working on her, she works as making miniatures for art shows, and she does a miniature of her mother breastfeeding her child. Um, she makes a miniature of when, you know, Peter, the, the car scene, uh, Peter and the light pole, and Charlie's head on the side of the road. She's obviously emotionally and mentally damaged and devastated, but it's the way she handles it is the eerie part because it's just like she makes us believe that it's it's like okay, well, this is just how she copes. It's a Tuesday. Yeah. When she's and, standing over his bed with the match, and she's just like, "Oh, what?" Yeah, she's like, "Oh, nothing." Well, maybe it's just the the teacher in me, but I love the classroom scene. Yeah, the classroom yeah. scenes have lots of those hints. I'm talking about where he's like. And what was the, I don't remember the literary characters he was talking about. And he's like, well, the, the thing is, is that the demise of so-and-so is inevitable and it's going to happen. And that's what happens to the family. Whack, 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 whack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it has some of the most visually disturbing scenes I've ever seen. I have like a phobia of when people crawl on the walls and stuff. As well you it really, should. really scares me. <laughs> Um, so when and you can't see it sometimes you, you won't catch her first glance maybe the first time you see it of the mom when she first gets possessed and she's like in the corner of Peter's room in the shadows um, and then in the living room and then when she just bangs her head repeatedly on the attic door mm. that that is so unsettling to me and then you know the piano chord scene um, yeah I think that's such a perfect horror movie. I love everything about it. She so. she might she might be the oddest mom since Piper Laurie and Carrie. Right. Yeah. Like she's at that level. I heard someone say if you're if you're in a horror movie and Tony Collette is your mom, you're pretty much done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, she's been the mother in so many of these movies, right? In Krampus and in the Fright right. Night remake, and uh, but she's always been good. She's been good all the way back to Muriel's Wedding, and I kept waiting for people to kind of figure it out and i still don't think people fully figured it out but no, yeah she's they still haven't her acting cannot be like overstated in that movie even just through her facial expressions like yeah at the dinner table where she's screaming at peter right before she starts screaming and she's just those are the Peter's most uncomfortable yelling. scenes to me really like the stuff at the the family stuff i'm like yeah, yeah forget, it's uncomfortable. forget the demons and if you want to get even creepier, look up payment on google sometime i did you know? but the, yeah then you're like whoa okay this yep. is a thing I looked up like all his. Yeah. I was like, well, why? I was like, it's kind of corny that Peter like flies into the treehouse at the end. But I was like, well, that's one of Payman's powers. <laughs> he does all his homework for sure. Ari Aster does. I think that's the thing about it is he is so, he's clearly so fastidious in how he makes his movies, but he makes them in such a way so they feel organic. And like Bill, what you're saying, uh, Bill and I have gone back about this. Like one of the things I love about a movie is when I feel like I didn't get it all the first time, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, that's not completely, it's like, oh, there's still a little bit of juice in here. <laughs> Yeah. come back later you know a lot of times how many movies do we watch and i'm done with it before it's reached the halfway mark right yeah right Let alone some are and hereditary both of his films you can go back although and I, I did feel the same way in the theater when i saw the naked gun i just didn't get it all <laughs> <laughs> oh leslie that's a true that's a that's a fair point too that's why those movies are are good that's true that's true um whoever wants to go next bill nathan, oh, go nathan go ahead okay Okay, my number one is a movie. Uh, it's the only movie that this person ever directed. It's from 1955. It's Charles Lawton's one directorial movie, uh, The Night of the Hunter. 
And it's a film that, again, probably another one that people could go back. Is it? Is it like gothic noir? Is it a is it a horror film? But this one stars Robert Mitchum, and he's a it's it's in the Deep South, and he uh, the opening of the film he's in prison with a guy who's talking about uh, money that he's hidden somewhere, and he finds out about it. And when he gets out, he goes looking for the family, and uh, he takes the guise of a preacher, uh, but he's a serial killer preacher. And you've probably seen the, the classic image of the love and the hate tattooed on the knuckles. That's where this original originated from, uh, his character. And he he marries the mother uh, with the intention of getting the money from her. And at the same time, he is behaving like this pious, righteous man. And he's able to weasel his way into the uh, the lives of these people because of, of what he's doing. And this is kind of taking place sort of in like that Great Depression era. And he ends up chasing these two children who have the money. They just don't know it. And he chases them across the South. And he's incredibly creepy. The way that Lawton directs this, with almost a German expressionist feel, so that from the viewpoint of the children, there's a scene where they're going down the river on a raft and you see the animals in the foreground. They just look really large and sort of distorted. And there is a, again... I like these movies that play with reality versus nightmares and have a surrealistic sort of dreamlike feel to them where it's a little bit like real life, but not quite. So there's a moments where he's chasing them and screaming children. And, you know, he seems larger than life as he's pursuing them. But a Lillian Gish shows up later in the movie is sort of his opposite. You know, here's a, a woman who's taking in kind of wayward children and she's the protector. And you have this kind of great showdown between good and evil. And I think it's uh, it's an amazing movie. I think it's the best uh, one of the best movies ever made, period, of any kind of movie. And I think there's enough here to qualify as as a horror film. Nice, nice. I'm going to have to check that one out there. So, Night of the Hunter. Also on HBO Max. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what it, you know what it is, though, is that HBO Max has, I noticed, has got a lot of the Criterion release movies. They do, yeah. so they do. And they have that's that what all of classics. these, yeah. Yeah, we started going through that uh, yesterday, or not yesterday, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Ashley and I were going through, she she actually pulled it up, and I was like, where are all these movies coming from? And she goes, yes. yeah, the Criterion Collection on HBO yeah. Max, and I was That's like, That's what Night of the Hunter is from, so. All right. Excellent. Got to put that in the notes. All right. Uh, Bill, number one with a bullet. What do you got? I'm just going to read the opening paragraph okay. of the film, <laughs> and you're going to figure it out. <laughs> On August 18th, 1973. Did I make the noise in the background, Bill? Yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a group of five friends ran afoul of a cannibalistic family of serial predators. The film which you are about to see is an account of this tragedy. Blah, 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 blah. If you don't know what it is, it's 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's not no John Larroquette, but you did. No, like there's that. no John Larroquette, no. <laughs> And and uh, Jordan's looking at me. John Laro, who? John John Larroquette. Toby Hooper's 1974 classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I saw this on accident, by accident, as a 11 year old at a birthday party. Oh wow! <laughs> My buddy is parents. Catholic, Italian, immigrants, God bless them, lovely people. They let the kids do whatever the hell they wanted at the party. Uh -huh. He had an older brother who had stuck it in the VCR, and we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It scared the shit right out of me, <laughs> but at the same time, I can still see the scene where the glint of the hook. Mm -hmm. 
I can still see that scene. And you don't, and the beauty of Texas Chainsaw is other than the opening whack, as soon as the door opens and closes, you don't see barely any blood. Right. You don't. Right. It's all left to the imagination. Toby Hooper argued to the uh, Association of American Motion Pictures that it should be a PG film. That's a little far, but <laughs> <laughs> but no nudity, right? No yeah. swearing, very little blood. Right. How is that different than Serpico? True. How is that? You know, like it, Jaws was PG. True. Jaws True. was PG, but Texas Chainsaw—he lost. Yeah. But but it was shot in guerrilla filmmaking at its finest in 110 degree heat in Texas. Gunnar Hansen wore that shirt. Nobody would sit near them because they wanted the continuity and you had to keep wearing that damn shirt that stunk the high heaven. <laughs> Marilyn Chambers is the ultimate final girl. Whatever happened to the driver of the Black Maria? I don't even know whatever happened to the guy. I'm never going to eat head cheese again and think of anything different. The intensity the atmosphere, the general fear. It's still, I've seen the film, I don't know how many times, it still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. When you get grandpa involved, <laughs> when, when, you've, when you see the pupils dilate when they mm -hmm. put that close up in her and she's sitting on the chair mm -hmm. and she jumps through that window and then you see the head crushed by the, Anybody that has not seen this film, stop what you're doing right now and watch. It's on Tubi. It's on goddamn <laughs> Tubi if you want to watch it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an absolute classic that needs to be watched and enjoyed. Excellent. excellent. And, and Bill, Marilyn Burns, not Marilyn. Oh, King. sorry. Marilyn Burns. That's the adult star. Yeah, that's the adult star. Finish listening to this podcast first and then pop that movie. <laughs> for our listeners out there, for Phantom Galaxy as well as Zero Dark Nerdy. God, it's been so great having you guys out. I'm really enjoying this episode right here. And little fun fact, too, the PG-13 rating did not exist until 1984. Yeah. With, with what? Temple Remlins of Doom. And, yeah. Red Dawn was the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, but it was because of Temple of Doom that they came out. Right. With Red Dawn and Dreamscape are about the same point, and they yep. both got PG-13. Yep. So a little fun fact for our listeners out there. I used to host trivia, and I, I remember as soon as he said that, the PG thing, I was like, wait, what was the movie that started the whole PG-13 thing? But yeah, it was Temple of Doom, and then the first one to actually get the rating was... Yeah, I remember seeing Temple of Doom in the theater at that time going, wow, Daddy, that's cool. <laughs> Monkey brains. <laughs> so my number one is actually a remake, believe it or not. it is. It is one of just... My favorite horror movies of all time. It's got some comedy in it. It's fun. It's campy. It's entertaining. And it's also scary as shit. And in my opinion, it's probably one of this director's best movies, if not the best movie he has done. I'm going with the 2004 version of Dawn of the Dead. It is just a, a fun popcorn flick. Anytime it's on TV, I'm going to watch it. This is Zack Snyder's first major feature before he went on to do 300 and Watchmen and Sucker Punch. And Until he discovered a uh, sepia-toned slow motion, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, it, it is just a fantastic remake to Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And to me, anytime that zombies can run and not just walk, it's incredibly frightening. 
and just the whole mall aspect to it. The cameos in there from uh, from Ken Force as well as Tom Savini, you know, giving homage to the throwback of the uh, the '78 film. I thought was cool, but I think Ving Rhames, Sarah Poli, Mackay Pfeiffer do a great job in the movie. It's also got who's the dad in Modern Family? Not uh, I don't know his name. I can't think of Ty Burrell. Yes, he's in there. He's kind like of a the, jerk. <laughs> yeah, he's like the millionaire dickhead in there. They've got a really cool van in there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jake or, Weber, or a guy I don't, we don't see enough. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just uh, you know, it starts off with a with just a bang, kind of like the beginning of the apocalypse, and then it follows. Starts off with Johnny Cash. Group. Yeah, yep, the man comes around again yeah. when music just plays a fantastic part with it, and then of course at the end they have uh, they're playing down with the sickness. So, <laughs> and then they have the uh, Richard Cheese and Lounge Against the Machine version of Down yeah. with the Sickness in the <laughs> middle of it when they're all kind of settled into the mall and they finally barricaded it and having fun. And some uh, memorable scenes, I love the sniper scene where they're calling out what uh, yeah. celebrities, uh, the zombies look like, and then the guy that's working at the gun store has to find them. So, of course, the... Uh, um, oh, gosh, I can't think of him now. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Um, who's a, who's Milton the- Burrow? Uh, Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. Reynolds. He was like, "Tell him, Burt Reynolds." Yeah, tell him. Yeah. He was like, "Damn, that guy's a good shot." R.I.P. to Burt Reynolds, by the way. (laughs) So the question has to be asked: You prefer fast-moving zombies or slow-moving? I tell you, I I think the fast ones are the scariest ones. The slow ones, I'm not saying if there's a bunch of them, you're going to get by them with ease. But when they can run at full speed, and on top of that, you know, jump and and do. Pretty much like Olympic athlete <laughs> zombies uh, are scary as shit to me. Train to Busan is fast zombies. Train, isn't it? Yeah, Train to Busan. Yeah, that's such zombies. a good movie. Such a great movie. Gosh, I should have. Well, we can put that on honorable mentions. Her and I watched that about a, what was it, a year ago, two mm-hmm. years ago. I'm not looking forward to the remake for that. I do feel. Ah, like uh, you can alone. you can pass on that one. Yeah. Well, he means the remake, but the sequel. Oh, I heard the sequel. Oh, the sequel. The, the yeah. sequel is your average zombie movie, and that's the thing. Right. It's like Train to Busan had a different angle. Yeah, bit, you know, I loved it, loved it. But uh, yeah, that, that's it. Uh, that's that's my number one. Like I said, I, I did my list on rewatchability, enjoyment, entertainment, and just kind of nostalgia. And unfortunately, Dawn of the Dead didn't get that much credit at the theater. I believe it came out the same time as Batman Begins. So anytime you go, you're going up against Batman, it's it was a year earlier. It, you oh, know, the it? movie that was steamrolling it was another movie about resurrected dead. It was The Passion of the Christ. Oh, weirdly to think that that was the movie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it was in between Passion of the Christ and yeah, some could argue it was a sequel or a prequel. That's what it was. The the, they were sandwiched between that and Hellboy when it came out. Oh, okay. And the Kill Bill too. So there's a lot of the yeah, Yeah, not a lot of time to go around. But I think it's we know a lot of people who do enjoy it just as much, and I like it a lot too. I mean, I think it's held up pretty well. I feel like it is, and I kind of wish that Snyder had maybe gone uh, i'm curious to see what he does was he got army of the dead army coming out this dead summer coming on netflix up. i'm hoping that he puts some of the i i appreciate some of what he's done with the superhero stuff but i like to see him put that stylistic yeah thing to the side and just go back to the filmmaking because what he was doing in dawn of the dead was impressive for an act for an action kind of oh, really yeah. thrilling and kinetic and you know exactly I agree 100% because before that, honestly, he was only doing like music videos. So for that to be his first feature film and just to me, a very, very well done. uh, It does have that. It does have the rewatchability factor. Yeah. That opening scene where the suburbs are just going to hell is great. It's great. Mm -hmm. And you almost wonder if it's got that 
statement that Romero always had socially is it a condemnation of the suburban lifestyle? Right. Right. You know? Yeah. They, they mentioned in the movie too, why are they coming back here? Well, maybe they just remember what's familiar to them. So yeah, there was a shit ton of zombies around the, around that mall. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so um, on to the, uh, the honorable mentions part of our nice little adventure here again. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're here with Phantom Galaxy, Bill and Nathan going over some of our favorite horror films, uh, did a top five. Now we're getting ready to go over honorable mentions and Jordan, do you want to go ahead and kick this one off? Um, sure. Um, my honorable mentions um, are, I, I just chose like three. Um, the Conjuring, just because I feel like it's a great like popcorn horror film. Um, I feel I really, it's a, you know, family possession horror. Um, I remember that was one of the first movies like I saw after I got over being scared of everything horror. And, you know, it, it genuinely did scare me. And I like the performances of that. I love Vera Farmiga. She's so great. Um, yeah. And then I have um, the house that Jack built. Is, Ooh, Lars von Trier. Is, mm-hmm. It is just, you know, blatantly disturbing, like how someone's mind. <laughs> That's can a good be way to way. put it. <laughs> that should be in the, in the, in the review. Blatantly disturbing. Like, <laughs> like magical, magically delicious or blatantly disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's a serial killer who thinks like his kills are almost like an art, an art form. And. It, oh, the the scene, the hunting scene where he takes his girlfriend and his kids out hunting with a sniper, and then they're yeah, yeah. They're just <laughs> but it, towards the towards the end, it delves into fantasy. Like it really does. Oh yeah, the last like t- half hour of the film gets super artsy and um, kind of opens up that that how he views his kills as art, and by that point of the movie. Honestly, I, I don't. I did not tune in as much because I was still, I was still processing everything that happened, and I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's an art form, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and then unpopular opinion, as my third honorable mention is the Carrie remake. I kind of liked. I really liked it. I liked Julia. The Chloe, the Chloe Grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because there was another. Oh, it was. I think there was another. I just. I don't know. I don't know anything of that one, but um, I really like Julie. Isn't it Julianne Moore? Julianne is the Moore. mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think she does great as the mom, and um, I like Chloe Gla- Chloe Grace Moretz, and I like the remake a lot because you get to see the happenings that you know obviously happen in the book and the original Carrie, but like in a you know technologically advanced way, like you get to see. Did you see uh, Shadow in the Clouds? No. With Chloe Grace Moritz from this year. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, I'll write that one down. Because I, I, I like yeah. her a lot. I love her. She's in the spurry of like a World War One, World War II like plane. She's down in the uh, in the uh, the gun turret. In the turret there, below. Yes, there's a uh, creature on the wing of the plane. Twilight Zone style. Really? And it's a whole men on a mission. She's down there. And it's most of the movie is just her in that in the uh, the turret talking to them, and she can hear the guys above her. And then this creature is there. It's really fun. It's a fun kind of like almost throwback, like a uh, has a Spielberg Amazing Stories feel to it a little bit. 
something like that. A lot of a lot of fun. Good uh, and so over the top by the end. It's almost like Indiana oh, you got to go into it expecting like that uh, old pulp cereal sort of feel. Like think of Indiana Jones kind of feel to okay. the, what's going on. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Then. Now, which is that Tubi or HBO Max? Who's who's sponsoring? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just like movies. No, that's a. Uh, is that a Prime? It's not. No, it's one you have to kind of pay right now. Um, Like, you know, I think you can rent it for uh, it's probably one that you, you know, I think by this point, it's been out a couple months now, probably within a a month or so. You could probably rent it for like three or four bucks, you know. Cool. That's your list. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Bill, what are your honorable mentions? Okay. Now, my and I'm on another podcast, Land of the Creeps with Dave Becker and uh, Greg Morgan, Greg Amortis. He'll be ashamed of me. Now, my number six is Halloween. I think it's the I think it's the poster child slasher film. Yeah, he'll be disappointed because it's so low, not because it's on there. Oh, okay. yeah, no, yeah, because it's so low. He has it as he has it as number one. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and number seven is what I thought you were going at with number one when you started talking about remake, and that's the thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Carpenter's the thing, you know. Number eight. I don't know if Jordan or if you, Bryden, get into, but one of my go-to style of films are Giallo. I love an Italian Giallo film. Oh, yeah. And, and Deep Red is number eight for me. Deep Red is an amazing Dario Argento film. Nice. And it's got, and, and Jordan will like it because it's got some supernatural elements to it. Okay. It's a mystery. It's a crime serial. You'll, you'll dig it. Very number small. nine. Number nine is my most recent film, uh, 2008, 2009. I love gore. I'm a gore hound. I can watch as gory as you got it. And this one, I don't, even, I don't even find this that gory. This is what it, Martyrs. I think Martyrs is perhaps the number one or two film of the last 20 years. Nice. I think Martyrs is a fantastic film. And number 10, I, I cheated with a tie. My other go-to, if I have nothing to watch, are the old Hammer films. Okay, okay. British company Hammer. And my all-time favorite Dracula film is The Horror of Dracula with Christopher Lee. That's a good one. It's actually the backdrop of my phone. It's Christopher Lee. I mean, the women love him. The guys love him. He's got that presence to him. Christopher Lee, to me, is the ultimate Dracula. Oh God! Yeah. Sorry, Donald or or uh, Kiefer. Sorry, Kiefer. <laughs> and my tie is one I want you guys to write down because I guarantee you haven't seen it. And it's Ten Rillington Place. Okay. Ten Rillington Place is about John Christie, a real life serial killer who didn't slash a single person, didn't hit anybody over the head. He, it was post-war London, women getting backdoor abortions. He would bring them up and suffocate and uh, sexually assault them oh. in a row housing. I recognize in that. I recognize that story from. Have you seen American Horror Story season one? Yes, it's pulling that same. That's kind of where yeah. it pulls it from. Uh, 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 who plays the killer though? It's crazy. Yeah, it's Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. John yeah, not, Hammond. Yeah, uh, Richard Attenborough, and he's got this gravelly voice, and John Hurt plays a patsy in this absolutely brilliant your listeners you too i know nathan has seen it 10 Rillington places the movie when everybody says i've seen them all i have this is the film i make them watch okay all right 
good ones right there. We got we, we got we got the notepad on fire here. Hopefully, the listeners out there mm-hmm. do too. <laughs> if you're driving, just wait till you get home. All right, <laughs> don't want you wrecking the car. Nathan, uh, what's uh, what's your honorable mentions here? Okay, well, I'm going to take a couple of mine and just put them to the side because Bill's kind of mentioned them, you know, <laughs> which is the thing and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, kind of a, two different takes on the same kind of premise, but both fantastically done. And then uh, the I will go ahead and I'll, I'll throw two others in there in, in place. One of them is the Evil Dead 2. Uh, you talked about Evil Dead 1. I love that he basically, again, there's a for for practical reasons he had to remake it because he couldn't use the footage from the first movie so he kind of just goes back and remakes the first movie in about five or ten minutes and what's what's interesting about evil dead 2 i i agree with you i think evil dead 1 is stronger as a horror film you know it's very disturbing but he blends the comedy and the horror in such a way that it still is creepy in moments and then he'll get a big laugh you know that first movie you have this thing it's unstoppable it's just zooming running over trees and it's tearing up landscape and you can't get away from it and he's running from it in evil dead 2 and you're already thinking okay we see what it did last time and it chases him into the house and it loses him and it looks to the left and it looks to the right and it gets confused and it has to leave (laughs) and that's the moment when you're like what am i watching and then from there it goes into pure three stooges level comedy you know but it's the surrealism is off the wall the blood shooting out of the of the walls and his you know he's cut, chopped his hand off and the, the the lights are singing to him and the deer is laughing at him and just and all the physical comedy that bruce campbell does in that movie i think that it's just so gonzo later dead alive you know brain dead peter jackson does that sort of thing and you can kind of keep tracking that uh and of course dawn of the dead in 78 and even all the way up to the 2004 dawn of the dead a lot of them oh like Rainey's the part where he gets the you know Evil Dead One was a great horror film. Evil Dead Two makes makes the gore and everything seem fun. That's the movie that everyone talks about in kind of hushed tones, like oh you you got to see this, you have to rent it. And they had a bit of a budget, yeah, a little bit, a little bit more. Still not a lot. You're still looking at blood bags getting thrown. You mean that's part of the surrealism? It just all looks like red paint. Um, then I also have Cat People from 1942, which I think is one of the underrated, really one of the underrated horror films that again psychological does a lot with very little has a great performance by simone simon and then has a stalking scene a, a a chase sequence that is probably one of the creepiest ones i've ever seen but so little uh, done with, with so little it's really done with shadows and light and the kind of noir lighting you you hear one person walking and you hear the high heels turn into the padding of the panther feet uh, just really fantastic stuff not very long a little bit over an hour but a great movie uh bride of frankenstein of course uh again I kind of like the horror comedies. I'd say Fright Night with uh, Roddy McDowell and Chris Sarandon, two performances on opposite sides there, but so good. I mean, what what McDowell was doing there is a kind of homage to Vincent Price and to you know Peter Cushing and all those people who came before him. Um, but it's still, still good and it still holds up. Nosferatu, uh, the, the silent film, fantastic mm-hmm. imagery. And then here's one I don't know if you guys have seen. It's another one kind of like where Bill's saying, if you you know, it's possible people have seen it. It had its own remake. And unfortunately, in this case, the remake directed by the same director wasn't very good. But this is called The Vanishing from 1988. It's a Dutch film. Have you guys ever seen it? Uh-uh. This is, again, <laughs> might be on HBO Max because it's a the primary <laughs> release criterion. So I think you can find it. It's a Dutch film. And the premise starts out, you have a young couple they're making their way across the countryside they get into an argument they actually are driving through a tunnel car kind of breaks down and they have an argument about uh are we going to walk through or not she she holds back she doesn't want to walk through 
he starts to leave her. He leaves her there in the car and that causes a, a rift that they're still arguing about when they show up to the, they pull into the gas station to get gas. He comes out and she's gone. And years later, she's still gone. And he is obsessive over the fact he never could find her. Doesn't know where she's gone. And it's killing him inside, particularly knowing that the last thing he act he did before that was leave her. And so his life is coming unraveled all these years later. And just after that happens, we enter the life of another guy who has a family, who seems pretty mild-mannered and normal. And you realize that he's an abductor of women. And he's been doing this on the side for a long time time and yet that still doesn't explain where she ultimately went and that his quest isn't so much to get her back he's not sure if she's still alive but just to figure out what happened to her so eventually their two lives intersect this killer who seems like the most normal mild-mannered person you could meet and this guy who's coming unhinged because of what's happened to him so it's called the vanishing they did a remake that had Kiefer sutherland and sandra bullock and uh jeff bridges in it and it was your typical american thriller Mm-hmm. This is not. This is disturbing. This has a. This is downbeat, but very fascinating. Uh, so, if you want a serial killer movie that's a little bit different than, say, The Silence of the Lambs or something like that, I've never seen anything like this one. Hmm. Nice, good list. Gonna have to put that down. I remember at first when you said The Vanishing. I don't know why it popped up. Uh, the Hitcher with uh, with Rucker Howard. Oh, that's a fun movie. Too. <laughs> it's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. When he's driving down the road and he thinks he's lost the guy and he looks over and there's that family full of kids and everything in the car and his head is sticking out between the like stuffed animals. Yep. Well, wow. if you're watching The Hitcher, you two should watch Duel. Is that the... Oh, yeah. Spielberg. Yeah, Spielberg. Spielberg. Yep. And yep. Dennis yep. Weaver. Yep, that's right. That's right. Um, so let's see for my honorable mentions, a couple of them have been mentioned already. I was going to aliens was going to make my top five, uh, again, to your point, Nathan, I actually did not appreciate the original alien as much until, cause granted I saw, it, I remember enjoying it when I was little kind of put on the back burner. Then I saw Prometheus and then I watched alien again. And then it made me appreciate alien that much more. I don't know why yeah. it, it took Prometheus to do that, but just kind of putting everything together. Um, I, I just I just truly enjoyed it after that. But to me, Aliens, yes, it is an action movie, but I, I also think it's scary as hell. Um, Sigourney it Weaver never lets up. Movie. It's still you still yeah. walk out of that movie kind of amped up. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think we did walk out of the theater, and it was daytime too, and just ready ready to go. Just uh, just a <laughs> tremendous tremendous film. And then uh, one I was going to mention earlier. This is definitely an honorable mention of mine. This is kind of the one of the first di- I remember just kind of being disturbed a lot is audition 19 oh my gosh Ooh, takishi mikey yep that one have was... you seen this one no it's oh okay you're never gonna date again <laughs> yeah it is uh it, it's it's revenge horror like none other and uh i believe there, it's japanese there, there, there is a sack involved Yes. Japanese. I have a story about that. So I saw this movie years ago at like a friends wanted me to come with them to an anime convention or something. I was like, I'm oh, sure. And then I realized I got there like I haven't seen any anime. So I found the one the one theater that was basically showing like live action films. So this was like 2000 or 2001, mm-hmm. probably when the movie came out. So it was like Battle Royale and all these movies, all very disturbing. So yeah. I'm like, I just watched six movies and made me feel like crap. But <laughs> sounds about well, right. Yeah, I didn't know what audition was. And this theater wasn't only showing, you know, 
uh, horror films. It was showing action films and, and dramas. And I specifically, there was a Japanese film that year that I wanted to see that was just a drama that was on slated to be showing. Mm-hmm. And but something must have happened to their thing. So, but again, it's not like it wasn't really a a, a, a first rate uh, thing they had going here. You know, <laughs> they showed the movie, they didn't put on whether they had they had to take it off and put something else on. So I walk in about five ten minutes into audition, but I don't know this. So I'm watching audition thinking that it. It's this drama film, drama comedy, which actually works, right? Because <laughs> if you watch this movie, the first 20 minutes or so feel like a potentially like a sunny Japanese like comedy. A right, right. It's a, it, it's a little weird because his, his uh, movie buddy, his director buddy is like, oh, yeah, well, all those traits you're looking for in a woman, why don't you come in and we'll host an audition and you can pick the one you want. And we'll, right. we'll make the traits of the character, the traits of your, your woman. And... Then this thing slowly starts. You see her staring at the wall and then you see her looking at the phone. And then as Bill says, you see the sack and this movie keeps going and going and going. And I don't know if it was because the air conditioning was bad in the place or the place started. It was basically had a wall of farts to the left of me, you know, at this place. It was all just a little too much. But you get to that last 10 or 15 minutes of the movie and there's a certain point when certain apparatuses come out and I'm just like, I got, I got up and I walked out and then, but then I also got stupid and turned around and thought, I don't walk out of movies and I, I got to know what happens. I walked back in and it just got worse. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, that was uh, it was, it was put on to me by, I believe a friend of mine. Cause yeah, 99, we could still rent movies. I think, uh, I can't remember if I rented it or not or where I got it. From. I don't think it came out here until like 2001 Correct. is probably when it would have been on a yep, video yep. store shelf. Yep, that's right. And I, I think I ended up getting it from Amazon or something. It's still one of those, uh, you know, I'm not saying if it's on, I'm going to watch it. I got to, yeah. it's like Clockwork Orange. I have to. I, I toyed with ready. it for my list too because it is horror. Like, you know, yeah. there's a point when what's the best horror movie? Well, that's one of the Exorcist, one that we really did funny that nobody really mentioned it, but it's another uh-huh. one that's like, I don't watch that a whole lot, but when I do, it's one one shot's powerful enough. I, I could buy on that for a couple of years. Auditions like, and I guess it's coming up too because it has been about three or four years. But if you're if you're watching if you're watching audition with Jordan, the actress is also in another fun gore splatter fest called Tokyo Gore Police. Mm. Okay. And watch Tokyo. It's because it's just a Japanese. There's a lot of blood, but it's just like a fountain. Like it's all. It's over the top. All that's, that's just like yeah, pure uh, Gonzo Gore. That's splatter punk for sure. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. All right. So I got I got aliens audition on there. Just another just homage to my childhood, and I, I I am a fan of a few anthologies. My one of my favorites is Trick or Treat, but to me the original OG anthology has to be Creep Show. Uh, Romero, Stephen King. Uh, I think it's got the better stories on there. Creepshow 2's campy, and I think The Raft is probably the scarier story in, in Creepshow 2. But I yeah, think for sure. One is, After is that, it's a little yeah. But that, that scene with uh, Ted Danson and right. Leslie Nielsen on right. the beach. Yep. Holy crap. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And then uh, even Stephen King making the cameo in, in his own little flick with, with the uh, when he oh, that's the one. Not, yeah. not there. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just uh, one of my one of my uh, again just brings me back to my childhood and one of my favorite anthologies. And I think it, it and for all the technology and everything that we've done to make things look like comic books, that right. still is the movie that feels the most like watching a live come to life comic book. The, the way they do the 100%. comic percent. Could the not, lighting not in the scenes. Oh yeah, no, couldn't agree more. And it's funny too because I actually have. Um, oh, nice. Wait. Ah, 
There it is. Oh, give me one second. So I got this on record store day. So it's the creep show vinyl. Nice. And then it's got like a cool intro in here from George A. Romero. And then uh, he's talking about how they, they were filming this the same time that Spielberg was filming E.T. And just how they would run <laughs> into each other in the lot the entire time. And uh, 82, and, it was a great yeah. year for movies. It, that's it really the, was. That's the one where there was that creature at the, in the university underneath the stairs. In, uh, in yes. The yes. Mm-hmm. Fritz Weaver is in that one. He's later. And then, of course, Hal Holbrook, too. And then later, uh, Tales from the Dark Side has that creature in the closet. That thing, the little monster, and yep. Fritz Weaver has a monster in the closet. Yeah, um, that's right, that's right, because they did the Tales from the Dark Side movie. And that has, 82 uh, had one of one was honorable mention was Poltergeist. Another oh, yeah. Oh god, that's a good one. That's a good one. And then just kind of rounding it out to the Italian horror there, Demons. Uh, one of oh my Demons. Favorites. Love it. Love it so much. Fun, fun, fun. She she's, loves she's it. Not a fan. She's not a fan, but I, I love the gore. I thought uh, it was funny. Yeah, it, it's funny. Yeah, it's not. It's, 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 it's a fun popcorn. It's exactly. If you <laughs> like the Italian, did, did you like stage fright? Yes. yes. Aquarius. Did you the like church is another weird Aquarius. over the top one. Which one? Which one the, is it? The church. I haven't it's seen another that. one full of the demons and critters and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Not related to that, but the '80s one that also honorable mention was the Changeling with George C. Scott. Oh, oh the Changeling, the haunting, yeah. haunted house movie. And if you're concerned about people crawling on the ceilings, Jordan, you have, if you haven't seen The Exorcist Three, you need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the most disturbing ladies on the okay. ceiling. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, last but not least, honorable mention is just one of. As, as far as comedy, horror, gore go, I have to say Return of the Living Dead is just <laughs> just a classic. I mean, the zombies actually talk in it. The whole send more brains. Uh, it, it, it's just got all the that, el- elements. Oh, that's it. the funny one I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's the yeah, funny one. That's, yeah, Demons yeah. is the one that takes place in the movie theater. That and and what, a, what a great dance scene. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, Return of Living Dead, yeah, that's the one. We were watching it one day with her mom. And and we, we have a great co-parenting relationship, so big shout-out to uh, to Jordan's mom, Heather, out there. And then, you know, the the, the, the punk kids, when they get to the graveyard oh, or whatever, yeah. I made I – made her mom's a little bit older than me. I just made – and she, she still cracks up about it. And I said, look, Jordan, that's what your mom wore in high school. No, you said that there's there's your mom on a like a Saturday in Thomasville. Oh yeah, on a Saturday night in Thomasville <laughs> or something like that. So we we get a good laugh out of it. And that's just you know as far as comedy goes and entertainment and some and some good gore. Now, did you like that better than Tucker uh, Tucker and Dale? I, yeah. I really do like Tucker and Dale. I just gotta I I, I gotta go with nostalgia just about almost every time and just Return of Living Dead growing up and watching it with my dad. Has Jordan seen Tucker and Dale? I don't think so. What chipper? What chipper? Yeah, we have a lot of horror movies. Well, the thing with that, though, is like Tucker and Dale, it's almost purely the gags. You know, the, the thing right. I appreciate about the Return of the Living Dead and the Brain Dead, the Peter Jackson yeah. movie, have you seen that one? It's oh, just yeah. like it blends the horror still in there. It keeps a certain like, like that scene in Return of the Living Dead when they've got only half the zombie on the table and it's throwing its backbone back and forth like a tail. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, a little disturbing at the same time. That it's funny. <laughs> or I know you're up there. I can smell your brains. Yeah. And, and nobody, nobody mentioned reanimator. Oh gosh. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Stuart Gordon. 
And uh, and one of my favorites too is it's so cheesy but so funny. And uh, again, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the '80s stuff. Is Chopping Mall? (laughs) Chopping Mall. Yeah. Paul, what's his name? Paul Bertels. I think I think so. Yeah, because yeah. so. it was also called Killbots, right? Because it's it's so misleading. Because chopping right. all you're expecting a slasher movie. And I remember a few years ago, one of the grocery stores or Walmart or something started inputting those like moving sensors, and I was like, <laughs> it came down the thing like it's a killbot, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and so he took a picture, and sent it to a buddy. Yeah, chopping malls, great. And of course, uh, what what uh, the fly? The remake. You talk about remakes oh, again. The God. fly with the Jeff Goldblum. I mean. That's a that's a great it's a great horror movie and it's a great like you know it's a great throwback to the tragic monster. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree. Now, now you're gonna have to now, Brian, compile this and for your listeners, <laughs> have it in the show notes. Oh yeah, no, oh yeah. He I mean, I'll, obviously, because <laughs> normally what I'll do is besides the notes that I write down now, I do the majority of it when I'm doing the edits because that way I'm like, <laughs> all right, well then I I can take this sample here and do a sound bite here and and do nice. all that there. So. Yeah, for for this part here, just uh, you know, at least for for my segment of it, I, what I'll do is I'll send you guys this whole the video and the audio, and please feel free to do whatever with it. And then, like I said, when we get to it, we'll do our intro and our outro. But for this segment here, tell everybody like how to find you guys, and then if you want to, I'll, yeah, like let we'll do that for us, and, then and we then can I'll do that for you guys, and then that way Sounds we can fix that on post edit. Oh. Yeah, you can find Bill and I over. at the phantom galaxy it's at phantom galaxy uh, podbean.com and you can find it pretty much anywhere where you have uh podcasters and you know you can go uh, podcatchers rather and uh we're at apple you know podcasts and you can find us on facebook at phantom galaxy we're on twitter at phantom galaxy over there that's actually f-a-n-t-o-m at twitter and uh yeah we have we cover science fiction fantasy and horror we talk books we talk movies uh we are trying to kind of expand out into a little bit you know a little bit of everything and right now you can find our top 10 horror movies of 2020 or over there and we did another list of more the general you know science fiction fantasy and then any other genre really top 10 list so you can find that over there we have a lot more content coming up and uh thank you so much for having us on it was a great time it's always fun to talk to people who have who are passionate about horror beyond just you know kind of pedantic about horror. Well, this is horror. That's not horror. It's it's so much better when people you know you just kind of go down a rabbit trail. <laughs> it's true. It's been awesome having you uh, you and uh, Bill on. And I tell you what, I mean, you guys got your PhDs in this stuff. Uh, I mean, Jordan and I are, are despite both despite the here. fact I thought the lead in Texas Chainsaw was a porno actress. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you should see how many how many like facts that I butcher. So you're you're good, but the- well, she was in Rabbit, right? So she was <laughs> in genre film. film. Yeah, there you but, go. But uh, yeah, but we loved coming on. We appreciate it. I've been listening to your show for quite a while now. You guys have a great relationship with your buddies, with your audience, and it's awesome. If anybody wants to check me out, I'm also on a podcast called Land of the Creeps with Dr. Shock Dave Becker and Greg Morgan. It's more horror-centric, but we venture everywhere. We just did an episode on 12 crocodile films. We did one on 12 shark films. We have a six-hour episode on Nordic horror. Set it in when you start your workday, and then you'll get basically you need four no- notepads for that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can't even imagine the amount of notepads you needed for that. So we love coming on. We're, we would love to come on again. You're more than welcome to come see us. I'd love Jordan to come on. I love the younger point of view. Everybody in your entire Zero Dark Nerdy audience, come to us. We'll bring to you 
just we're all one big happy family agreed agreed same thing i, I really appreciate you guys uh joining us on the show so again be sure to check them out again phantom galaxy as well as why am i drawing a blank right now land of land, land, land of, of the creeps land of the creeps so let me let me start that one over for post mix <laughs> so again be sure to check them out phantom galaxy as well as land of the creeps on all your favorite podcasting formats bill and nathan again thank you guys so much for uh joining us here on zero dark nerdy we will definitely definitely have you guys on again thank you very and much thank you uh brian and jordan for joining us um phantom galaxy here and i, I wanted to say too you know my it's funny because my kids hear me doing this and the podcasting stuff and they're always like dad can we do a podcast and it's always fun when i see people as, as a great example of bridging the generations but also bringing their kids into it i love you you're such a great example of that brian uh, and and the way you've incorporated uh, jordan both of you together and uh, you have some great horror knowledge too jordan i, I listened to uh Matt Rawlings and Jackson Rawlings, his son, they do a uh, father and son review horror. Jackson's the same way. It's like, it's, uh, it's really awesome to see the appreciation for that kind of, you know, I would say true horror, but where horror had its real origin roots in the psychological and in the sort of more atmospheric. So it's, it's really awesome. I think you guys do a great job. So yeah, yeah, awesome. I, I can't wait for your next conversation at the pub, Jordan, with your friends. And then you start bringing this up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Do, you want, do you want nachos? Do you want a rom-com? No, let's talk about audition. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, and like I said, I own audition. So I'm, I'm like, sure she's going to be taking that with her to school. Yeah, about the dark years of religion. <laughs> yeah, just don't lose it, though. <laughs> but no, I, I love it. Uh, once I started the podcast, which is we're getting ready to start year three now, season four. Uh, first thing I thought of was definitely uh, having her on, and she she's been great. And once she gets a mic at school, we'll have her on a, a little bit more often. But we're gonna have to have a bigger one. You have all your boys around, so there'll be like six of us. <laughs> there you go. You're gonna need a bigger Zoom, right? Yeah. So, uh, so uh, Brian, where can uh, where can everyone find you? Sure thing. You could find us Zero Dark Nerdy, our website. Uh, we try to make it as simple as possible to find us. It is popculturepodcast.com. Nice. And uh, that's where you could find uh, all of our links for the podcast itself. We got movie trailers on there, blog posts. We got a cosplay section. We host local trivia four nights a week here in Greensboro, North Carolina. So if you're ever in the area, please be sure to check out one of our trivia nights. And then uh, you can also find us YouTube, Zero Dark Nerdy, IG, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place, uh, either ZDN podcast or some variation of it. But if you type in Zero Dark Nerdy, we will uh, show up. And be sure to buy some of your merch. You got a very attractive hat on. <laughs> Thanks. I got I got to order <laughs> some more actually. So I do limited orders because I don't want to get stuck with like two hundred of something because I'm not that great of a salesman. <laughs> but yeah, be sure to check us out. We do have some more merch coming. I'll be sure to send you guys. Uh, we are getting some more hats. We are getting some more beanies. We actually have magnets getting made. Some more. Oh, sweet. So I'll be sure to to send a nice little uh, prize pack uh, to you guys over at oh. Galaxy as well as Landon. Nice. It's, it's been uh, it's been great being out here. Either way, I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Yep. Take care. Talk to you later. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop, a lot of very interesting genre based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at AriesBeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.